Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to episode three of Ask the Industry. Uh, A lot's happened since we last had an episode on. We well, obviously Christmas and New Year, but um, depending on when you're listening to this, we're currently listed as new and noteworthy in iTunes under comedy, which is phenomenal. Um, I never thought something like that was going to happen with this. So thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for sharing it around. Um, that's all, that's helped with my downloads. That's helped with my hits. And it's also helped get on some really exciting future guests, which I can't really talk about much now because they're not signing up dates yet. They're sort of, they've sort of emailed in or I've emailed them. And we've uh, we've sort of corresponded and said that uh, they'd like to do it. Uh, needless to say, we might be expanding into some more TV people, some more writers, and uh, yeah, it's it's all looking really good. Additionally, we peaked at number fifty-one in the iTunes comedy chart, above above people like Richard Herring and uh, Dave Gorman, and just loads of podcasts that are, are really cool. Um, so that was that was a bit of a shock to find but a good one. So thank you so much for the support. I can't even express how happy it made me and how much it means to me. Um, as a result, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, if you, if you are enjoying this, if you have a minute, if you could leave it if, a review if you haven't already on iTunes, it really does help out uh, and it sort of helps out, especially in ways you wouldn't normally think about. So guests, for example, are uh, reading the reviews uh, to see what people are saying and what people like about them. And, uh, you know, a few people have commented on, like, written in the reviews that the the length doesn't matter, you know, they're still enjoying it and stuff. And um, as a result, we've got guests that are giving us extra time and stuff, you know, they're sort of booking aside days and taking days off and afternoons and things to come and talk to us and give us lots of valuable insight into what they do and how they do it, which is amazing. So any review you could give, just an honest one, you don't have to do five stars if you don't think it's worth five stars, but obviously that would be my preference. And yeah, that's great. If you can't do that or you don't have an iTunes account or you don't have time to do that, perfectly perfectly acceptable, just share it with some friends, Um, you know, give it out to, you know, tweet it, um, and if you want to at me in that, I'm at this made me cool. It'd be absolutely fine. Or just use a hashtag, maybe um, hashtag ask the industry. That way I can keep track of it. I haven't made a Twitter account for this podcast yet. It's just, um, it's in the pipeline. I, I kind of don't have time to run another one of them as well. Um, otherwise, today's guest is Julian Hall. Um, the Julian Hall is the, or was, the comedy reviewer for The Independent, for 11 years 
Uh, he also reviewed for The List and a bunch of other magazines, and we talked a lot about that. Uh, he's now venturing into Edinburgh PR, and essentially we, we talk extensively about what that means, about why that's important, about what he covers and how he does that, and uh, what services he offers people, and who he will take on, because obviously... Uh, time restraints means that he can't take on everyone so it, it was quite exciting to talk to him and quite a quite a upbeat lovely guy to have around as always uh, every question that was asked or pretty much every question that was asked can be found uh, in the show notes which can be found at asktheindustrypodcast.tumblr.com they've all got timestamps again so no need to fear you can jump in and out as and when you want to kind of listen to certain bits or questions that might help you uh, also, all of his contact details can be found on the show notes. So if you want to contact him for any PR help that you might need for your show that's coming up, uh, feel free to get hold of him. And please remember to subscribe. Uh, hit that little button. It helps us out infinitely. And it means you get every podcast direct to the podcast player feed of your choice without any effort at all. What more could you ask for? It's absolutely free as well. Even better. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. So my name is Julian Hall. I am... A comedy PR or a PR for comedy. Um, <laughs> that should be the right way around. Uh, I also am a copywriter and uh, I still dabble in uh, various editorial as well. Mm. Um, so I've had quite an interesting career. Came into comedy PR through writing about comedy um, as a critic for The Independent for 11 years uh, and a critic. I also reviewed for the stage. And a number of other people during uh, the Edinburgh Fringe as well, but but mainly just the rest of the year is sort of mainly for the independent. So I am pa- what's the word? The phrase is gamekeeper turned poacher, <laughs> or is it poacher turned gamekeeper? We, one way, of the way around. One of yeah. one or the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been a really interesting journey, and it only kicked off in the PR sense earlier this year, in April, um, and then very much in earnest during Edinburgh Fringe 2014, where I had. Um, 14 clients which is a lot more than I uh, <laughs> anticipated taking on but some of them were sort of looking after themselves to sort of greater or lesser extents and some of them were more hands-on so it was, it was manageable to sort of do that uh, sort of by myself but I think I'm looking to hone that for future fringes um, but it was it was a great experience I mean as you can imagine after going to the fringe since 2003 as a critic I was dealing with PRs on a regular basis so I completely knew how things worked I knew how hard they worked as well that's always sort of struck me that um, they were working harder than anyone else really Um, so I knew I was letting myself in for which I think was important Mm. because it was a real slog last year but it was so much fun and one of my prime movers for segueing from being a critic to being a PR was that I could spend more time with acts and I could actually do something a bit more hands-on, um, shake things in a slightly more positive way. Although I have to say that comedy criticism can be a very positive thing because the idea is to be as positive as you possibly can and impart some kind of valid criticism that can be taken on and used by the act. And so I'm, you know, fully defend uh, the role of a critic. It's not that I've turned. Uh, you know i think it's such a terrible thing Uh, obviously you know i'm still dealing with with critics and uh, you know it's nice to see it from both sides um yeah so i i I mean i and i did achieve that you know i spent a lot of time working very closely with some really lovely people um and so that sort of bore out everything that i wanted Mm. sort of from it and 
it's uh, it's then kind of rolled on after Edinburgh with people doing sort of Soho runs and other kind of short sort of one nights, two nights there. And I'm sort of looking, I take on kind of ad hoc projects and then I'm sort of retaining one or two people who I know that I'll look after should they choose to do Edinburgh again this year mm-hmm. or a couple of other projects uh, that they'll ask me to look after, with, which is great because after having established a working relationship with people that you really yeah. enjoy, it's it's really nice to sort of continue that really. Well, I tell you what, if we maybe talk about Edinburgh Pre-R first, because you, yeah, you said uh, just before we started that it's kind of, it's not quite Edinburgh Pre-R because you sometimes take on a management role more or, or less, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, How would you, I mean, where would you put the line between being just a PR person, not, don't want to play down PR, no, no, but no, a PR yeah. person for a show or a person, would you say you do? I mean, PR in Edinburgh is because you're very much the kind of person on the, on the ground. So the OR Act may have an agent for um, their comedy, for their writing, for their acting, or, um, uh, you know, other representation of some kind. But though they may not be there on a day-to-day basis, so you do find yourself doing, sort of fulfilling other roles to some extent and trying to kind of invite people along um who you know from the industry to see your act and so it does sort of branch out i mean in the widest scheme of things i suppose that's still it's still under sort of pr but it's it's sometimes what other strands of the management would look after but simply because you're kind of you're there on a day-to-day basis with the acts that sometimes these things sort of come up and it should be dealt with and i think that's nice i think it's it just added more variety to the role really yeah Yeah. definitely so uh, but you but you focus on Edinburgh, do you do it for other festivals or is it? Well, I kicked off, as I said, kicked off in April with a mm-hmm. Soho Theatre run and a, and actually a run um, of shows that Satila Kershey did in Brighton and in London, including a date at the Royal Festival Hall right. um, with a number of other comedians. It was more of a storytelling evening. Um, and so I've had a couple of projects sort of under my belt before I was sort of gravitating to Edinburgh. And what I'd done in previous years is I'd done PR seminars where an act would come and see me for sort of 90 minutes. I'd talk through how they could do their own PR mm. and they would go away and do it. They're always, always intending to do their own PR and that's it would be a kind of little starter pack. And that way I was still a critic, but I was offering yeah. some sort of impartial information yes. and I wouldn't review them, obviously, when it came to Edinburgh time. There were plenty of acts yeah to make to make that sort of possible but this the car i think the inevitable pull was for me to kind of cross the line and offer like a full pr service sure. because i realized that some of the ideas that i was talking to with acts could only really be sort of properly enacted if i had somebody there to help because the acts got so much to think about in the run-up to edinburgh in terms of venue and accommodation and you know whatever it might be so and although many of the acts that I deal with are very sort of self-starting, most comedians are, um, there were just some things that would be too ambitious to expect somebody to time manage. And so I, it start, I started to think, well, I'm coming up with all these good ideas for people. Let's actually be with them when they you know, execute them. Execute them. Yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, I mean, I've done a couple of Edinburgh's and yeah, you, you spend all the time working on the show part, that the business and maybe the PR and the marketing part is not your biggest, or it's not in the forefront of your mind the whole time. No. And, and I find, because um, I was talking to Alex Petty about this a little bit in, in the podcast, where I was saying that writing even a press release for me to try and sell my show 
is really hard just because although I know what the show's about yeah. and I know who I want to attract, I don't know how to talk to them in no. that way. No. And so it's it's probably really useful for someone like you who's worked in both sides of it to be able to say, this is what will help sell the show or this is something that will give you the best opportunity to sell the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, I've come across a, a lot of people who some of them already write for a living anyway and they're kind of so dead on what they want and they're so good at branding themselves and marketing themselves that you know it was actually uh just to facilitate that was important but actually changing the thrust of what they were saying about themselves was not this you know not necessarily other people's concepts were quite involved and therefore needed a bit of sort of teasing out sort of the basics if you like and i think it's always useful to have someone stand outside a situation and give their advice and that's essentially what a critic does mm. it's essentially what a management consultant does two of the most popular jobs in the yes. world you know people love them yeah. right um, behind the state agent yes. yeah <laughs> oh yeah well uh, i don't know but, <laughs> but um so I, yeah i think there's in terms of uh, the um what's the word not the context but it's uh, that sort of disassociation standing outside of a situation and actually being able to to feed into it it's quite valuable and when you're jug juggling so many tasks yeah. in that environment um just the support really um i think is actually really important just having somebody sort of sound off ideas yeah. and and that that's as much of a great thing for me is it's for them because as a critic it's it is a reasonably sort of solitary sort of uh role and although edinburgh is also very sociable it's very hard working and, and what have you it's not completely solitary and in that sense but in its very essence in terms of you know you go to a show uh, you know usually on your own if it's mm. edinburgh um and then you're writing something up when you're alone with your thoughts and critics don't like to talk to other critics before they've written the review yeah. it's you know that kind of sort of purity uh, of single-mindedness yeah um it's nice to be able to kind of turn that on its head and actually do something where there's a bit more to and fro of, of ideas mm. So you can talk about a show in a review and you can dissect what they said about um, any sort of subject they brought up, something current affairs-y or something more personal. And you can have that kind of conversation in a review, which is always interesting. But to actually be with an act when they're shaping that concept before performing it is, you know, quite a, a nice uh, thing to do really oh totally i mean do you, would you go through in edinburgh do you go through reviews with your clients and say this is what they're sort of trying to say this is the kind of thing that they're trying to convey that's, to you as feedback a little bit if it's not as obvious or that's a really good question actually <laughs> on many on many levels that um because firstly i've just sort of remembered that what i also did for a couple of clients is i directed their show so that um gives you an even closer sort of relationship and I do like to give even if I don't do full directing I do like to s go along to shows and give show notes if if people are up for that and they generally are I mean a lot of comedians before Edinburgh you know they get their friends who are other comedians to come see the show and they we really love feedback yeah, yes. they, yeah. well you know Positive yeah feedback. yeah 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 <laughs> well, or at least constructive <laughs> yeah, yeah constructive feedback yeah. um that's so that's a great way of engaging with the show and in terms of the kind of post-match analysis which is in terms of going through a review that is a good question because that's a real sign of a good review is whether there was actually anything you can usefully 
give an act from either a positive or a negative review. So even if you know if it's a two star or four star, if it's really engaged with the show and teased out some ideas about it which are interesting, mm. um, that's something that hopefully you can talk to an act about. Um, many a lot of reviews. Well, it's, I'm not sure if it's fair to say a lot of reviews, but there are reviews that don't go beyond the surface so it's it's yes. it's very hard i mean there are a lot of review there are a lot of reviewing portals out there mm-hmm. um and they all have varying strengths and weaknesses and there are examples of reviews that there's nothing the act from can really learn from them i mean even a positive review there should be some reason why it is sort of positive or something that maybe the actor can get hold of and do more of or something like that but if you're just kind of lobbing superlatives at something um or hyperbole then um you uh you you haven't really got much to talk about and then the negative side is you're know, on the lesser starred reviews let's say um i think yeah you have to qualify obviously you're gonna you have got that response you've got to qualify the reasons why and there ought to be something to get hold of in a review like that that you can then turn around to the act and say let's think about you know have you thought about working on this or but there is a time and a place for that and actually in the fray of edinburgh i think it's really hard to do that the post-match analysis really probably has to be post-match because unless it's something glaringly obvious that you could be very easy to tweak somebody the comedian's already got their artistic vision of what the show is going to be so if it involved a massive change of character so it's a character show and someone suggested that you know oh this is too this character's too downbeat or whatever that might be their that character's raison d'etre and it's going to be pretty hard to do a sort of 180 degree turn on that so it is quite um a careful uh conversation you know you have to sort of acts will feedback whether they they say you know i don't necessarily want to read the whole review for the bad one but if you think there's anything worth pulling out then please pull out the relevant sentences and you know you you do that but then i think in terms of to get uh, like pull quotes for like you know like those extra things they stick on over the top that kind of thing well i but mean the pull quotes obviously for the from the better reviews and they're they are yeah. very valuable but um in terms of if a comedian has a review that's um not good then i'll usually say i don't necessarily want to read the whole one but will you pull some elements of it that you can feed back to me so that i can maybe reflect upon them sometimes those elements are things that aren't going to it isn't going to be possible to change in the middle of a three four week run um with performances every day and and a reasonably sort of fixed idea of actually what you you want to do i mean there's a couple of it's interesting actually because i would much love to plug all my acts but i'm talking about things in a very sort of generic way because there's so many people to mention but i had a show absolutely lovely show uh, this year or many lovely shows this year but one of them was um, I say this year I mean last year um, one of them has a kind of gear change of um, you know funny 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 mm, bit tragic oh this has got a bit of depth here this bit kind of oh, a bit of dark going on here and then kind of exit sort of back out of that so it's kind of quite sort of theatrical you know had narrative arc and what have you Um not a play as such but it it was really interesting to see how people responded to being put in a different 
plays. I mean, of course, that's what you expect from Edinburgh. You expect mm. comedy shows with... You can get everything. You can get stand-up that does what it says on the tin. You can get sketch. You can get um, some very complex, you know, complex sort of uh, narrative structures, much more complex narrative structures. So it was really interesting to see what... And there was no way that that person was going to change what they were doing because they'd actually constructed something that was, you know, quite beautiful, really. But, but that some people because of the discomfort were not going to necessarily deal with some people acknowledge that and we're actually very in their reviews and we're actually very good at saying you know what this is a slightly trippy and weird but it's all the better it's it's as a rounded whole it's all the better for that and some people i think were just sort of dis- dislocated there was a disconnect there that they couldn't get over you know yeah i know what you're saying i mean for, for me um i tend to find that some some reviewers or some uh, should we say platforms for reviewing during Edinburgh only because they don't tend to do much outside no. um, often as a performer I find they sometimes write it in a way that there is there's no constructive feedback for me it's mainly for people that might read them and there's they've written it in a way I feel and it might just be me overthinking it and feeling just a little bit yeah. about it but I feel like they're putting it in in a way that I can't get a pull quote out of it because do you know what I mean? Unless I just take one uh, word that says fabulously rubbish, do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I mean, wow. I mean, that's you know, it's a hot. Is that something that you guys, when you do a review, do you take into account like how a review, how how a, a performer might be able to use the review in a positive? So if you were doing like a five star review, yeah. which would be lovely for you to do, because I'm sure that's you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing, Would you ever try and write in something that is like a quote they could definitely use from you? Or does that not come into it? For it you? doesn't. It doesn't come into it. I mean, I actually remember speaking to um, one guy when I first started reviewing. Obviously, I don't now, but it's inevitable that we're talking about reviews because um, it's still part of the meat and bread of what I do, and I'm obviously very interested in them. <laughs> um, and I still come at it from a. I think it's nice to have the poor quotes, but I do still think that if the review is saying fabulous, wonderful whatever i still want it to say something else that i can the act has something to read that isn't just a kind of as i say bag of hyperbole really but yeah poor quotes i think one critic when i first started said to me you know i i don't think he said i try and i I think if you've got the measure of a good review if you've written something that nobody can actually get a quote out of (laughs) i mean it's sort of so then i'm not i'm not paranoid Uh, no (laughs) no i don't think so i mean i mean uh, but then I'm not sure that people consciously do that either way, really. Um, I think it's hard if you really like something to, you know, there's usually one sentence in there that you would pull out if someone's got a five-star review, you know. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I mean, I think if you're, you are overpacking the positive, uh, you know, a little bit, I think it's a bit, it's a bit sort of cheesy. The whole best things since life spread kind of syndrome is uh not not particularly helpful i mean obviously you know a poor quote you'd never get the qualification of why someone said it was so brilliant but if it's the person who's saying it's so brilliant has already got a reputation so that critic if he says this is the best thing so if michael billington you know, let's use a theater analogy so we can sort of <laughs> sidestep anything controversial about Fair which enough. comedy critics i might <laughs> reference um, no, no reason to reference any sort of badly but let's say you know theatre review and, and for the guardian michael billington says this is the best thing since sliced bread which i don't think he was given to using phrases like that but it was the fact that he said it it would be his reputation 
on the line as it were and someone if you saw that hanging down from a theater you would think wow okay that's really um for that guy you know for that guy to say that that must be sort of quite special I assume he's been quoted in some kind of context i mean as a critic i've had stuff taken out of context and that one word kind of uh, element where someone just pulls out uh literally i remember a two-star <laughs> review of one guy and he did an impression that was good and i said that this was a something impression i don't think i'd fall into that trap again and i the one word of um excellent or something was just pulled out yeah. and that, and we, and i did, it did actually get taken down when i was when i complained oh, about it so, so you yeah so you i see mentioned it quoted paul quote you'll you'll complain about or you well i did on that occasion actually to the venue and they were excellent at, um this was some years ago um but and they were really good at sort of contacting the promoter and the, and it was taken down because i really don't think you can base something on one word it actually just refers to one two two minute portion of a 50 something minute show which was otherwise kind of you know average um <laughs> but there is not always a lot you can do i mean there's yeah. been other examples um that uh yeah there is a there was a, there was a kind of whole discussion about the, the legality of certain things and sort of applying to theater critics and i don't know if it's ever gone kind of being adopted by uh extended to comedy critics but um you know, it it happens, I suppose, um, and it, it happens a lot. I mean, as, yeah. as a performer, I often see. I won't mention names, obviously, but yeah. a large number of people who have um, had a, had a one or two word thing. I I mean, I'm guilty of it slightly because the I had a review recently where the whole review was really nice, except I couldn't get a quote out of it because it just wouldn't work. Yeah. So I just took two positive words yeah. that came out of it yeah. and I thought, it's a positive review enough, I'll be okay. But I've seen enough people that have, you know, taken the word brilliant or excellent mm. or superb and the rest, of, and it's not, you know, it's a superb, you know, they have amazing stage presence, not, you know, the, and the rest of it was crap. But they, but they still sort of take it out of context. And it's interesting for me as a performer that you... Um, and maybe your friends as reviewers would actually call someone up on that because I think we all feel like once that's happened, you're, you're, <laughs> I don't know you're about out of I don't know that everyone necessarily would, you know, probably think people are the people are better at letting things go than I am. <laughs> but then also I could have easily not, no, I could have wandered around the festival not not at all noticing that that mm. had actually happened, you know, it was just literally looking at the sort of the billboard and, and yeah. what have you. Um, I think pe the public do see through flyers that just give the one word of brilliant and you know they've got to have other reasons to believe on that flyer they've got to see that somebody's been on uh you know a bbc3 show maybe or or you know have some tv credits or have a national as five stars from a national maybe to to make that decision in the moment of whether they go and see that show I and mean, there's so many factors in edinburgh of course about yeah. which shows people go and see proximity does is the flyer attractive in terms of the colors and the image and it all comes into play you know mm. there's no single one thing yeah for, i mean for you because uh, i mean obviously uh there's, there's a whole debate on chortle at the moment about you know rating systems in general and finding out whether there should even be a star rating system for shows i mean that I will never go away that debate i, I know yeah. but I, I mean personally i don't like star rating systems mm. at all uh, it might be because i've never got a five star but it might also be just because <laughs> I, I just dislike them as a shorthand. I think it's really lazy for people to just chuck them on the thing. I mean, I've got a few four stars, but I don't ever really use them. So, I mean, what what for you, 
I mean, do you like those systems? Do they, do, 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 are they a bit of a pain sometimes when you kind of think, it's, I don't want to say it's a four, but it's not a three, you know what I mm. mean? Well, I mean, of course, you know, with it's, there's, two, there's two hats here and um, there is a meeting in the middle, I think. But as a, as a PR, if I've got a show and they start rattling off some fours and fives, you know, I'm very happy uh, if that happens. And as a, as a critic, you know, most journals now have a star system there's a couple of a couple that still don't um but the the sort of trajectory so for example the stage not long ago decided it would start starring reviews and i think that will make them stand out more in terms of people using them and and not just having a poor quote and having a star next to it i think it does make them somehow more more noticeable it's good for the stage but let's take another example of the observer now they don't star reviews and haven't done and that's just that's the way they do it and everyone's sort of used to that but if you get obviously you get a good review in the observer and you can take some kind of poor quote from it that is a big and of course Mm. we've discussed um that's sort of very valid because it's you know it's the observer or what have you Mm. but i mean for everyone but you know weeklies or internet journals or whatever it might be it's i think it's really hard not not to star the reviews i mean as far as the service to the reader goes a reader scanning a page particularly on a journal that covers a reasonable number of shows um it's during festival time of course uh, where most reviews you know appearing i think it it obviously does do it give the reader sort of service a very kind of um you know um just scanning the page picking out what they think might be you know relevant most people would hope that you know people would take the time to read those reviews on their own merits because we all know there are three star reviews that you know either edge to the two or the three star or that someone will give a very qualified opinion in that three star review and that would be the make or break of whether you go and see that show but does it work that way do people see three stars and think well no i need to find out what all the four star reviews are before i make my decision i mean how how much um research people do to go and see a show in edinburgh and what what they use and how they do it i would love somebody to do some research on that quite frankly we all know that it is a mixture of a number of things and we all know that stars really do help mm. um i'm i'm slightly torn i'm i'm torn you know on it because i do think that it it's it is useful for the reader but then can a can a kind of little you know graphic totally represent what somebody's written in sort of th- two three four hundred five hundred words i mean never never exactly and and as critics We've all, when I was a critic and critics now, all have an experience of really agonising over where what they what they rate a show as, and also are they rating a particular person based on their previous performances? What obviously what happens on the night on a show mm. can really affect, you know, and quite often we'll have to give them the benefit of the doubt, saying, oh well, you know, we know that the show will probably improve or whatever it might be, <laughs> um, or also if you're really sort of helping the reader in, in inverted commas then you're are you sort of 
you're comparing with other shows as well. You're not just compare. I mean, not all comedians. You can't compare all comedians on their past form because mm. some of them are obviously debutantes or whatever. So you're very much comparing <laughs> with what other new people are doing. But if you've gone to see, you know, Joe Bloggs for the fifth time in Edinburgh, he's done five. Conse- he she's done five consecutive years. Well, Joe Joe or Josephine Bloggs, and then <laughs> it's there is an element of track record that comes into that star rating as well. I think so. It, it, it's a, having to carry a lot of information, I yeah. have to say. There's a lot of pressure on those little stars. Yeah, 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 you know. And, I mean, for you then, what uh, I mean, what would make a five-star show, like, for you? Um, well, actually, first... Well, that's good. Uh, before I tackle that one, I'm, <laughs> the one thing is, I suppose, that the proliferation of... The thing about star ratings as well is that, obviously, the more journals there are reviewing shows, then the more it follows that the the more star ratings they are so there are so that is that is quite confusing in terms of the market i mean you can find a lot of people who will pick up four star reviews if they don't pick it up from one journal they might pick it up from another um so things tend to sort of even even out and i i think i still think the punter pretty much if they go to Edinburgh enough and they know the kinds of, you know, they know that they've heard of the list and, you know, the obvious sort of uh, the Scotsman and the and the broadsheets and whatever, I, I guess they are still kind of guided in that direction. But it's a crowded market, I think is what I'm trying to say. So a five-star show, mm-hmm. five stars are always, you know, you're always told as a critic and I think you innately know that five stars is only really given in pretty exceptional circumstances and if you see depending on how many shows you see a year but I mean if you see more than two shows in a year that are sort of five star worthy then you know that's a good year really Um, and I think it's just yeah I mean it's on every level that you can't really sort of fault it Um, and just like any other review you take into account what's going on around you you know it's your own opinion but how's how's everyone else reacting and um, you know, are there lulls? Are there kind of blind alleys? And and if if you're seeing a show that is you know just so well crafted, I'm going to try and recover my memories of what shows I've given five stars to. Um, Dan, you know, Daniel Kitson. I'd be unsurprised listeners to to no. <laughs> to know that Daniel Kitson's had. A, I mean, he's not always had five stars for me when I've reviewed him, but no, um, it was his last year's show. You mean? Well, no, yeah. this is like years. ago years ago oh, now okay. really um yeah, he's gone downhill now well <laughs> good lord but um well I mean, obviously his focus is on other things you know but um <laughs> but um you know i think in terms of what he was doing and the way he was kind of uh manipulating comedy when he came on the scene you know he was sort of revered for playing with the form and and there were nights on which he would do that without any kind of you're just <clears throat> not your heart was in your mouth but you're you're kind of you were suspended by you were sort of mesmerized because the 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 show just sort of never kind of um what he did would never kind of seem to sort of flag and and what have you and i, I know that you know i mean Stuart Lee I have a sort of I've an interesting kind of response to Stuart Lee's work over the years and sort of kind of slightly uh, love-hate relationship maybe I don't know maybe that's too strong but um, you know I can totally understand why people go and see him and just feel that they are it's it's another game 
when you know someone is doing what he does and <clears throat> but you know um so i saw some people that you almost expect that kind of uh star star level but yeah i mean what makes a five star show i mean it's pretty they're pretty unique things and, and everyone's striving to kind of build their shows to 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 make sure there are no lulls to have sort of banging jokes that always end on a laugh or and it's i think but there is also a kind of um there's the x factor sort of element as well in terms of how much you engage with uh with a comic and how much it, it actually works as a show i mean you know there's a like uh for example star one-liner merchants like you know I never saw Stephen Wright live, sadly, but I know from people who did that. Oh, seeing over an hour of sort of Stephen Wright was a pretty hard thing to do, mm. and it's difficult for one-liner merchants. I think that very much applies to Jimmy Carr as well. And you know, it some some kind of uh, shows don't necessarily work in in those kind of formats. I mean, sketch shows are obviously can notoriously be a mixed bag, so. For any sketch show to be a five-star sketch show, that's obviously work something that's been rigorously worked on. There's no, you know, there's no. It's everything's lean. There's no kind of fat on the no thing. weak chain. Yeah, and the, sketch yeah. comedy is really hard to do. I mean, I I got a bit of reputation when I was a critic of being like sketch comedy hater, and I, it wasn't <laughs> my favourite sort of comedic discipline. Um, I have learned to relax, folks. It's all right. But um, <laughs> what, what is your favourite comedic discipline? Like, what's your favourite type of comedy to go and watch and review? Or maybe even maybe to watch like as in like just for fun and to review mm. if they are different. <laughs> I think the nice thing about going to Edinburgh is that you're if you have some hard and fast perceptions of what you generally like, which you know I certainly did, and they still remain true to some extent. You know I love shouty American comics, so I did love Bill Hicks. I saw years ago before I started reviewing, of course, and um, you know Doug Stanhope and. Um, God, and you know, so that that was the kind of um, I had a predilection towards, you know, shouty bloke comedy to some extent, you know, angry and political and, and what have you. But <clears throat> obviously, that's not all that floats your boat. And Edinburgh is such a cornucopia, naff word, but it's true of of styles and approaches um, to humour, and and you can sort of kind of fall in love with the most unsuspecting of of shows really and, and it's always great to see something that is an exception to the rule um do you have any examples of stuff that you saw maybe this year or last year that like so people would maybe like fresh in their memory of someone that you you just took a punt on because you just sort of saw the title or you saw and what what did you see in that show that made you think i'll give that person a try and then you just were like wow i can't believe i haven't heard or tried God. this person before um well this year was slightly different for me because obviously i was going to see my client shows on and off just to see how they were progressing and also outside of that um i was going to see lots of free fringe shows um because i didn't want to blag too many tickets obviously my critic days not a problem but um <laughs> you know um and i did go and see like you know the sort of i made sure that i went to see the people who were nominated and so on and so forth but god what have i really been um I think, you know, the first time I saw Maria Bamford um, in Edinburgh, mm. I wasn't sure. And I've got to say, I've seen her since and been much less keen, but she did 
turn up to Edinburgh one year in the old assembly rooms when the assembly was at the assembly rooms. Um, and uh, I can't remember the title of the show, but it was about her mother. And it, so it was a kind of storytelling, um, very sort of definite theme, family theme. Mm. And it was just like a great one woman hour, one woman show. Um, just using her kind of kookiness and, and really, really effectively. Whereas sometimes that can just come over as a bit sort of arch and a bit niche. And I've seen her in other sort of settings since and it doesn't always sort of work for me. But that, that was the kind of, that was a different uh, response to that, what I was expecting. And it's certainly different to my appreciation of her work sort of since. It was, you know, kind of like a bit of a high point really. But then I guess I'll always... Like I, you know, if I know she's on a bill, I'm always sort of interested in seeing, you know, as if I watch John, um, uh, John, what's it, John Oliver's show, for example, he that he does, um, and I know that he's she's a guest on that quite often, and you know, I'm most curious to see her because she's one of those people that will sort of surprise you and blindside you, mm. but sometimes it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always work. Um, more recent and newer examples, um, I think sketch, you know, can be pleasantly surprising because I'd always had kind of low expectations I know how hard it is I have to appreciate on one level that it is really hard to do good sketch to comedy so and then when you see something that kind of really moves you and just sort of works and like the Pappies one of their the last show ever for Pappies was like a really big um, one for them and they're always sort of you know lovable bunch anyway Um, but it's it's a great in the Edinburgh context and but I think it's it's one of those things you buy into in Edinburgh and I, how well it works outside and on tour I mean not much touring sketch comedy anyway uh, mm. as it is I mean I'm sure that Max and Ivan did toured uh, their show uh, nominated show and again that was had an overarching narrative and um it was very well choreographed. I think you'd have to use choreographed for that show because it was, there was, the use of the stage and you know it was quite. It was you know quite sort of striking as a piece of theatre, and I think this is where Edinburgh, you know, the Fringe does tend to kind of, that's comedy has found itself uh, morphing or offering the the punter kind of the more sort of. Uh, theatrical end of comedy and theatrical devices and moved away from just sort of convey about comedy and, and stand up and um, I mean it's always been there but I think we just sort of get reminded of that year after year when we see people doing sort of different things um, that's sort of borrowing from the borrowing from the past but also looking to the future I mean there's so many trends in comedy now it's just impossible to define it's impossible to define what comedy is in many respects because it's it's pretty much everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it can, it can be anything, which is yeah. why I love it because you could you can stand there and just move like a muscle and see if that works because you've set it up right. Like obviously, don't just go up there and do that, but you know what I mean. Uh, and it's just exciting. I mean, so what so what attracts you to go and see a show? What's like the pull factor? Because I know, like you said, there's so many things that can bring people in, but for someone like you who obviously has a busy PR schedule you've obviously got your your reviewing that you've got to go and do anyway well used um, to not anymore oh you yeah. don't review anymore no I mean I think that's the important that is an important thing in terms of the the sort of dichotomy of the two uh, disciplines is that um, 
once you're wearing a full-on PR hat, um, it's it's pretty hard to then legitimately review. Uh, I mean, I had to sort of, I had one um, kind of journal that I worked for at the last Fringe um, Fest, uh, which I kind of, I kept that because I was trying to sort of bankroll myself really to yeah. make it through another Fringe and, you know, sort of offering pretty low cost uh, PR and I try and keep it, you know, as basic as possible, but it, um, because it had grown out of, it was also had grown out from something that was very kind of sort of slightly DIY and that was just sort of starting really last year. So I was, you know, just still testing the waters, I suppose. Um, and Edinburgh was big enough to avoid people reviewing your own acts and all that kind of stuff. But it, you yeah, know, I was going to ask if there was a conflict of interest, but it's I, I not think, worth asking. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's, I think it's sort of. I don't. I think it can. I think there there is a danger of the trouble is that even if a conflict of interest doesn't exactly ever present itself, and obviously you would do your best to avoid it, so you wouldn't review people that you're doing PR for and all the rest of it. There's still a perception of, um, you know, there's still a perception of a kind of. Um, you know a conflict of interest as well if you review somebody well and then years later they come to you for pr or something you know all that kind of thing it so i, I mean i can understand the kind of qualms it's you know it's sort of i think most it's not impossible to sort of get around it but why would you really because once you've uh, the, the biggest factor in all this is not so much the conflict of interest or the perception of it but actually it's about the mindset because once you're looking after an act and their PR and you're kind of involved with them um, on that level your ability to do what reviewers should do and take a sort of back seat about whether likability of any comedian will, will be quite I will probably sway people in terms of how well they get on with the show but in terms of you can't start going to shows and think, thinking oh, well they worked really hard on that and <laughs> I've been even though it completely didn't work and then being sort of over charitable or e equally going to them and thinking oh I know they can do better it's a bit a bit lazy or, or whatever with a, with a kind of background knowledge that you wouldn't expect the punter to have or whatever so I think it kind of be, be a bit sort of sludgy really and I think you know ca character that is sort of something that's um that's sort of defined and that's that's basically what's happened for me as well is that i have completely sort of detached from detached reviewing. from yeah. that you know um and it, it's a, yeah and it's a headspace thing i think it's you you look at things very differently and actually there's juggling the, i'm very happy to have had the two experiences but actually yeah. juggling them yeah. simultaneously um i can imagine that's quite tricky it's yeah. a bit tricky you know i mean i did it sort of marginally in the last fringe for sort of financial purposes but you know it's it's not something that I, i'm looking to do now really well i can imagine i mean f from an outsider of your job as it were i can imagine one of the trickiest things is so you've obviously got friends who do reviewing so if i hired you for example as a pr person and you watched my show and you were like david love this let's get him down to review this is that do you know what I mean? Like, is there a conflict of interest there, or are you able to email one of your friends and say, "I've got this show. For you. I've got this show. I'm representing. It's 
exactly what you'd really love mm. to come down and see would you like to come see a preview i can get you a ticket whatever that uh, kind of thing well i've got to say that you know first i mean i got on more with all the critics i think and uh i want them to trust my judgment and but i don't think that i could expect that i mean i, I know from last year that it's hard work once you've crossed and also once you've crossed that line that critics aren't stupid in the sense that they know that you're trying to sell them a show that, you know so they will take things with a pinch of salt equally you know having worked alongside them i suppose i you know there is a certain amount of trust in judgment there mm. as well um but then it, it, that didn't have to come from uniquely being a critic and then flipping over i mean if they work with the some of the prs that in edinburgh have been in edinburgh for you know 10 15 years more in some cases and that means that they have to be very careful about the shows they're taking on and recommending mm. um and so that they don't they're not in a position where they're crying wolf and saying mm. you know come and see so and so because they'll you know you'll you'll absolutely love them and you'll be saying well didn't you say that last time about of course sometimes they have to take a, a punt and a gamble um some people will be more suitable for um some comedians more suitable for some critics i suppose there's the critics who like character comedy don't like character comedy to a greater lesser or st extent but it's on the merits of the show and i give that echoes the conversation we've previously had about you go and see something that you wouldn't ordinarily like and then you like it then that's good for anyone else doing that genre because it means you'll, you'll take more of a chance yeah totally um sorry so just to slightly go back to yeah um what attracts you to go and see a show then because like we were saying there's title there's image there's mm. description there's you know flyer there's where it is from where you're staying or on the way home or if it fits into a slot or do you know what i mean or if you've seen them before like what would bring you in to see a show if you you know you were just in edinburgh yeah you know and you're looking through the brochure do you look through the brochure or do you, you know i'm so glad that i don't have to sort of think about that from scratch actually because you know my edinburgh's very much tried to, as a critic tried to cover as much ground as as possible and see as many shows as possible and you know there was an element of uh uh prs kind of providing information there was sort of you know there's an element of like you must check out the hot the people who perceive to be the hot new acts uh the the fact the certain venues the big you know if there's a new person in a big venue or something like that you know that might sort of well, you look at what credits and what kind of work they've done as well to get a steer on on them, what their sort of previous CV. Is. So there's all sorts of sort of decision making going on, but then you try and get as broad a sweep as possible. I don't think there's as much space now as there used to be, but I used to go and see a lot of shows, you know. Um, so I got a pretty broad sweep of what was going on. As a PR, I, I, that's shrunk slightly, but I will go of my own volition to uh, to see people. Um, the awards there's no doubt about it the awards sort of um for example in terms of what shows i made sure that i caught up with last year i made you know i made sure that i queued up to see liam williams and john kearns um i queued up on, uh, to see lisa millian on, on, on milan sorry on the last night and um you know we're very happy i did that i have to say and um it's kind of nice being a, a normal punter again and quite exciting at the free venues to actually have to sort of stake your place in the queue and make sure you were the head of that queue because those shows were as you can imagine like you know hours beforehand 
Yeah, I had to pull in favors to get yeah. <laughs> to some of them because because I've seen them on work with them on the circuit and stuff. But I yeah, I turned up for Louisa, for example, three yeah. nights in a row. I turned up and were like, okay, I'm not going to get into this. Yeah. It's just round the corner. So yeah, I get what you're saying. It's um and and because it's free fringe, you can't really. I mean, there's obviously the Bob's uh, bookshop method where you can reserve a seat for yeah. a certain price. But most free fringe, you don't have that luxury in a way. You have to sort of just assume you might get in. Yeah. Or give up four hours of your day to try and get in yeah um, yeah 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 for the buzz shows you know and that buzz factor if you see people queuing around the block for a show mm. there's no doubt that that is um you know that's a really enticing thing and and thinking about um you know uh god who else because uh, louisa was in the counting house. louisa was in the counting house and the ballroom mm. and you know um there's always buzzy shows in there but you know it's um ostentatious as well you know mm. that kind of thing so buzz obviously and i'm trying to sort of think myself into that position of like not the alien that's landed in edinburgh but the first time the first timer that's landed in edinburgh i think i would vis- you know visually those kind of things where you see people queuing outside of a building um flyers that speak to you you know if you're interested in political comedy or something like that you're gonna try to seek that out which is you'll have a job because it's not much but um <laughs> you know um there is enough to to find and you yeah you would go through the brochure and and you know flick through and it, with free fringe fringes you you've got more of a ad hoc you know you can do it on a more of an ad hoc basis and you might just be happy to sort of try something and um when you're buying a ticket you've got much more stake in in turning up i mean that's the that's the potential problem for free fringe that shows is that someone will kind of say let's go and see this at five o'clock and then your friends lay or you know you've, you're drinking with people that you've not seen for ages or whatever it might be it might that your plans might slightly go by the wayside unless you are dead set on seeing this person oh, i saw him on russell house good news i know he's he she's really good something like that um obviously when you're buying a ticket you're less likely to miss the show but all the free venue, all the free venues that I was going to see, so a lot, and that was across all the free fringe. But I spent quite a bit of time the free festival venues, like you know, around Maggie's Chamber and those, and um, uh, the Counting House, and you know, they were all full. Mm. They were all full, and uh, that's all full, folks, not awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, just thinking, wasn't it? Yeah, they <laughs> you were, just said they were great. Yeah, that sounds like a really exaggerated. Hey, man, they yeah. were all, but they were yeah. completely rammed. Yeah, uh, and, pe- and people often uh, yeah. say that the free venues aren't... I mean, like, I, I've done two years at Edinburgh now, a split show and a uh, full hour and stuff, and I, as I prepped for my first, what I want to call my debut hour, I was talking to a friend of mine who's not in comedy, and they were like, oh, so you're going to go have a paid venue because you're moving up. And, I, and it seemed weird to me, in a way, that as an outsider, they would presume that going from free to paid is actually, yeah. you know, like the progression, whereas most acts are going... I don't want to put five grand into a paid show when I can do it for, you know, 1800 a grand, you know, that kind of amount of money instead and make the money back rather. Do you know what I mean? There's, yeah. There's kind of a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. But it's interesting that you as a as a ex-reviewer, yeah. but now PR still kind of, I mean, like, do you, do you... I mean, obviously, it's more convenient for you to go and see free shows and stuff because obviously there's, you know, less state. You can just drop in by yeah. and all that stuff. But is there still that line in your head with reviewers, for example, where they go gotta go and see the paid shows definitely because they're the ones that you know agents and stuff put them forward for even if i haven't heard of them or is there reviewers going around to free shows in their spare time and enjoying i mean 
yeah good i mean good question in terms of the pull of the free fringe on reviewers now all the big prs and well all prs had free fringe acts on their rosters this year um probably still more weighted towards paid venues but it you know there were there were some there was you know there were i mean obviously a lot of the people who got nominated were doing free franchise although to be fair there were people who sort of gravitated from you know being in a well no john obviously was in john kearns was obviously in the same room mm. as the previous year and this is obviously as we know die hard free fringe fan as he has he sort of made clear on his sort of acceptance speech and all the rest of it but um and i understand the passion uh you know i understand what he was sort of driving at as well um there is very little there's much there's so little space i mean you know that's we do have lots more journals and online sort of people covering edinburgh so that perhaps to some extent makes up for lack of space in some of the other you know like metro was only one page this year and usually it's two pages and um you know the list and the scotsman still do a great job of, of going to well everyone does a great job but of going to as much stuff and you know it's i think we'd all like more space you know speaking from um, from the pr point of view and, and i'm sure that as a critic uh, you know we would like uh, we would like more space and we'd like more coverage and a sweep of shows and that would make it a lot easier for um things that are off sort of seen as off the beaten track to be covered i mean it's going to see shows in terms of scheduling them in in terms of proximity and time clashes and all of that kind of thing that is um that's pretty tricky really mm. um the free, you know a lot of the free fringe shows that hit big like louisa like um liam already had a kind of a, a momentum behind them so was that from previews or from doing it? Well, another... I mean, Louisa had already had what would Beyonce do before she yeah. did. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. What was the title of the show this year? Uh, um, it was Am I Right, Ladies. Am I Right, Ladies. And um, Big fan of both. They're very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've just seen Am I Right, Ladies, but, you know, she's an incredible performer. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, and Liam from being nominated the previous years, a newcomer and, and what have you. I mean, I, sorry, just 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 before you carry on with that, because Louisa before that had nothing, like before you know when she was doing what would Beyonce do? She didn't no, have no. press coverage, she didn't have no. uh, awards, she didn't yeah. have any of that stuff. So I mean, how as a PR person, how yeah. does someone go from? Because I don't think she even had a PR person working with her. No. she just had an outstanding show yeah. that was done very DIY, as she very yeah. well, readily admits at the fringe. Yeah, how? I mean, is it just a simple case of if you have a good show? yours might get that level of coverage because you know people will come to see it in the word of mouth or is it yeah. a case of do you think there's some stuff that you can do to entice that along or i mean sort of a mixture of both but i think word of mouth is very very strong in edinburgh um it, and because there's obviously a lot of industry people up there um there's scouts for the awards and there's the award judges themselves that's a power that is a very powerful kind of uh mm throughput of the industry yeah. through s s shows um and can sort of recognize um you know something that is hot basically mm. um but i mean audience yeah an audience feedback in edinburgh will get through to industry is at, at some point if you're regularly pulling in those kind of 
crowds and um i mean it's it's a good question i'd you know it'd be great to ask louisa actually how what the tipping point was because mm. you know she started to obviously get press interest almost i don't know even know if what would beyonce do actually got like loads of reviews but she certainly got a load a lot of kind of editorial pieces mm. after the event i remember and um you know she'd been seen by enough people at that stage to kind of basically just you know say oh he's, he's the kind of this is quite hot and didn't she get i don't know did what would beyonce do get a london um residency at some point so uh, once, so right so after. there you go you yeah. see i mean that is that's a real curtain raiser forgive the, yeah, yeah you know you once you you start getting picked up mm. by the um uh the uh i don't know what do they call them venues uh well by the venues but by um yeah um by the programmers you know the programmers start to come and see mm. your shows and start giving you that exposure then you know that really really helps and that's what everyone wants i mean people want it in edinburgh they want the tv execs in they want the the pro fit programmers in and so on and so forth and it's a bit of a bum fight but it's <laughs> that's the trade show nature of it you know yeah yeah but I also mean, to be good to answer just to Sorry. finish the other half of that question because it's a very good question and it's a bit like sort of like splitting the atom isn't it so there's you know if you are very good at marketing yourself whether it's across social media whether it's using the people that you know who know people that can come and see you if you're literally starting from scratch and obviously as a performer you put yourself out there on a regular basis if you've got the energy and the drive to do that off stage as well that's a huge plus um before you might then be sort of lucky enough or, or wish to have somebody else doing that for you you know i mean if you've got some performer who's a good doing good at doing that but also got some help then that's even better i mean i work with a lot of people who are happy just to leave that side of things completely mm. um but i know other people who are very as a units they're just so well self-contained in terms of marketing themselves they know you know they've got a vision which makes it you know it's kind of easy to work with because then you sort of fit into that vision and hopefully bring a few other extra things to the table but there's a lot of diversity of uh making your own luck out there i suppose yeah no i'm hoping to get her on uh on this podcast just because yeah. i think she'd be a fascinating person uh, to talk yeah to. Be, yeah um in terms of an industry person who who's gone from obscurity uh, arguably obscurity to just everywhere but not everywhere at the same time because she's not you know tv name or anything like that but in well, a way that's she's just had a, that stint know, on Miranda, Miranda didn't she on the yeah. first episode and I wasn't sure I don't know does she have a sort of parallel acting career going on at the same time I'm not sure sometimes think, that often yeah. helps I know for example that um, oh golly uh, Ashling B had uh, you know an acting career get parallel to the sort of burgeoning comedy well starting before and then parallel to the burgeoning comedy career and obviously and she's essentially kind of the newcomer award that she got at the British Comedy Awards so I think is essentially for her work on on a pundit show isn't yeah. it really i mean you know which is but i mean I, that's sort of kind of valid because that is a, that is one of the main um outlets of comedy obviously on on tv and you, you know you, you kind of once you get embedded in that thing yeah. you can really hold court can't you but 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 you know there was savvy there i suppose what i'm saying is there was clearly industry savvy feeding mm. into you know, as as it is a case with a lot of performers, you know, the acting feeds into the comedy, comedy feeds into the acting to some extent, and then at some point, they Pick well one. usually multitask. But yeah. if they love the live experience, that's, that's something they'll always come back to. Yeah. Otherwise, it's uh, 
see your pals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was th- I was thinking of Terry Alderton when you said that, uh, who did the the stuff on EastEnders and like it was kind of running in parallel with his bit more. Yeah, I, mean, I cannot see Terry ever giving up the life circuit. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, but you know, yeah, it, it you, you never know, do you? I mean, it's, he he seemed to really love doing the acting and stuff. But I mean, it's you know, yeah. It's uh, all up in the air for him. Um, going the other way, yeah. and it's going to sound really odd. Um, for me personally, for example, um, last year, I didn't want reviewers. I know it sounds weird. I just wanted to do a show and get used to doing that length of time on stage. And I, did, and I yeah. didn't want anyone in. Yeah. Do you think there should be a, a, a sort of opt-out option for performers if they genuinely do not want a review? I mean... If you're in a paid venue and you don't want a review, you just don't issue comps. And right. if somebody wants to see you enough, then they'll pay and see you, which is probably a good sign. Free, there's no. Even though you like, if if you you know, when I'm PRing the free fringe shows, I hope that people ask me when they want to come in, and then I'll reserve them a seat, especially in, which is wise because there's so many packed venues that it was a good thing to do. But they don't have to, so people can go and see a show on the free fringe under their own steam and review it and there's nothing to stop them really um so it's it's uh, it's kind of quite tough really you can sort of respectfully ask for that to happen but you've got no way of really controlling that um you know using the example that you're using so if you go up and do a working i mean you can clearly label a show a work in progress show Mm. most people and it's probably if you're going to do that, it's probably wise to do something under forty minutes. I would have thought, but um, I think people would, by and large, respect that. Those people who know essentially what that means. Mm. But if you're doing an hour, and even if you've called it work in progress, some kind of journals that try and do as many shows as possible in terms of reviewing them, and then maybe just got someone sat in a whole venue all day just to sort of. I don't know if anyone does that, but it's possible to, to just go and see as many shows as they can and and because it's all about coverage you know for the online sort of uh reviewers it's all about um to some extent some of them have particular kind of things that they want to target but you know it's what the edinburgh punter wants is to see every show reviewed don't i suppose to make this sort of broad sweep of you know so i'm not sure that that would necessarily you you'd necessarily be able to avoid all reviewers in that respect but you know because that's just the nature of the sort of the free fringe that's just a thing that goes past is that not the tube that's not the tube no no no, the tube's too far away for that we're not 100% sure what that noise is but it happens at a fairly regular (laughs) interval uh, in the flat so but it doesn't pick up on the mics so I'll have to edit out us (laughs) talking about it yeah don't worry that's Uh, fine yeah it's alright well I mean so because Obviously, you you said you did fourteen shows last year. Yeah, I presume you want to either expand or contract that, depending on how you felt it went. But I mean, is there a type of show that you? So I mean, like, say I wanted to employ you. Do I say to you, "Hi, here are when I'm doing my previews. Come down and see it." Is it the type of show you'd like to support, or do you take on like stuff that you maybe wouldn't like to go and see yourself normally because you think it'd be a bit of a challenge, or mm. stuff that you know you could promote but you wouldn't enjoy? Do you know what I mean? Like, is there a line, or is there stuff that you wouldn't promote? Yeah, good question. Um, and uh, I'm aware I'm not promoting myself enough as well. But no, I'm <laughs> kidding. No, um, but yeah, I mean, I think you want to go, you want to promote stuff that you feel that you can hand on heart promote to other people and say and extol the merits of it. And even if it's not for everyone, you've got to have belief behind it. Um, 
and you know behind that act so i think it's it's quite hard to uh to really enjoy promoting somebody if you know you don't think they're quite ready or they're not your cup of tea it's, it would do, seem do you provide that feedback like or i mean in a nice way if someone said that you wanted them would you say something like I yeah i think i, I, I mean i haven't had to, i've been very lucky actually because <laughs> i've not had to do that so far um at all i mean i i mean there are you know there are one or two shows um that perhaps weren't as ready as, as they could have been that i've sort of dealt with but that's not like the worst thing in the world to say that you know it, something needed honing because that's just mm. the way it is and people go to Edinburgh before experience and as you say you know there are years that acts want to go up there and not really get reviewed they want to get up there and they just want to kind of mm. do their stuff and plan for the next year and that kind of thing um i just you know i hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just enjoyed the shows. Um, you know, I had particularly, there was particular shows that I was kind of very busy with because we're getting a lot of reviewers in and sort of press demand. And I'm going to start name checking people now as well because I... Um, I, I should say I do show notes for every episode. Oh, okay. So everything you talk about is why I'm like everything you talk about will have links to everything. So go mad. Oh, okay. Well, um, you know. So what, what, what's the, the the gist of what we're saying is you know yeah you need to have the belief belief in your let's not call it a product that's too the the the, the, the you know the succinct most succinct way I could put the question yeah. is um, what are the kind of shows you like to take on and promote. Uh, why are those the type of shows that you think you promote best and what uh, stage would you say is a good idea to contact you mm. of the you know so like do I come to you with a full show and say come see a preview yeah. or do I come to you and say I've got this idea for a show come see me do a gig and you can see what I perform like, like what's the le you know what I mean yeah. you don't want to leave it too late to yeah. get you on board and you might already have your stuff signed up so I think obviously I really <laughs> want to I want to be invited to come and see someone and see them if they've got an hour that's great if they've got 20 minutes that i'll go and see them in a club i've not seen them before 
happy to do that as well and make some kind of judgment on that basis and then talk about the theme of the show and what they want to do and all that kind of thing am I excited by the idea of the show do I believe in them as a performer all these things will be running through my mind in terms of making a decision and I've got people who I worked with last year and a couple of other people that I know through them and I've already got a couple of people sort of um, lined up um, as well so this I'm trying to kind of think about a, a good number of people um, sort of making it a financially sort of viable thing for them and for me and also making sure that I'm not top heavy on the numbers of people that I take so that I can give the kind of um, attention that I gave to people last year and and you know it wasn't easy to get round to everyone there's some people that were you know was was tricky you know um but broadly speaking you know um i managed to tick all the boxes i wanted to tick with that act have they, have they done this have we invited so and so whatever it might be um so yeah uh, seeing the show having a knowledge of the person beforehand seeing them perform getting a handle on their idea making sure that i'm not overburdening myself with numbers of acts which can be tricky because actually the number of people that I saw obviously last year that came to me for advice and we had this discussion do you want to just have the a kind of a little chat and go off and do it yourself or do you want to have something more sustained and that's why you know people were saying well I'd actually I'd like something more sustained and when I look back at the kind of people that were coming to me it was just incredible because it was a massive range of people and of styles and I, it's not like I took only straight stand up I took um, up Rebecca Humphreys in a show called Disney Rascal which is a okay. musical show about her love-hate relationship with Disney which is just just amazing hour she's doing it in Brighton on the 17th and at Leicester Comedy Festival and she's going great guns she's just been in Pomona at the Orange Tree Theatre and she's in uh, Cockroach she's got a part in Cockroaches which is the new uh, Jack Whitehall sitcom which I think is streaming on the internet before it gets aired and will no doubt go on to other lots of other things as well a complete delight just an amazing show musical comedy about Disney I had no concept <laughs> that I would ever look after a show about that and I know that when Rebecca came to me um and told me about it I was thinking this is in this is intriguing but I don't you know I don't quite know how this is gonna how this will pan out and then I saw the show in preview she only did half an hour but she did a short preview at the Hen and Chickens and it was like OMFG um, <laughs> I see I've started to use words like that as a PR that I never <laughs> would have done as a critic but you know it was like it was one of those like moments of like you know George dropping this is awesome I'm so happy to be looking after or even invited to take part show, yeah. Yeah, yeah because it's just such a you know really captured people's imaginations she, um, she got packed audiences at the Fingers Piano Bar in the Newtown uh, which was a perfect venue for it and it was just such a, a total joy equally uh, Anna Emerson she's in um, one third of the Boom Jennies she went solo last year and with a show called An Evening with Patti DuPont which was uh twist basically it was uh, a sort of octogenarian Hollywood star who was supposed to be coming to give a kind of talk about her life and a Q&A but she can't make it so her daughter i.e. Anna comes in and sort of fills in the breach and it's it's this kind of tragic comic um, hour lovely narrative arc 
peaks of troughs of light and dark. It was basically the show I was talking about earlier. And um, <laughs> re- I mean, it was just amazing. I was just like, I was so happy to um, be looking after that and, and promoting that. It really sort of was part of making my Edinburgh. And then I worked with Joe Bohr, who's just lovely and did a lovely stand-up set in uh, Maggie's Chamber, one of the free free, uh, free festival venues. Um, and it was really interesting about how people do shows to fit certain rooms. And you know, I had quite a bit of involvement with that show because I'd done sort of directed it. And I had a kind of vision of how he might do it. And then I could see that he wanted to go in a different direction. And I completely understood why. And when I saw the show, when he finally did it, it was just like that was a really interesting journey you know from start to finish so I was very proud of that was Spencer Brown asked me he hasn't done stand-up for nine years and he asked me to look after him about a week into the festival so we had to kind of do play a bit of a game of catch-up but that was really that was great because he's been away from the scene for a long time and he's a really interesting guy and he does a lot you know so again it's just sort of fascinating dealing with these people because they've got sort of bring to the table so many different things somebody like Dave Griffiths whose show about his um, battle with French Connection because um, he started marketing his own t-shirts and French Connection came down and I'm on like a ton of bricks and then they had this massive copyright and uh, infringement tussle which is incredibly it makes for an incredible show really mm-hmm. just sort of um, the chronology of it just sort of it's just gets more and more sort of farcical you know um, so stand-up musical comedy comedy play essentially or one one, you know one one hour for Anna something about copyright infringement and then who else brings it Spencer Jones who's a sort of mime act essentially and he's in the finals of the uh, what was the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year Awards or just the New Act of the Year Awards now Um, that's really he's just really kind of brewing to be something quite you know spectacular I hope because I think that it's a kind of really gentle start with that the show that he did in Edinburgh and it's it kind of seems to be sort of blossoming so you know uh, I've been working with Richard Gadd at Soho to the Soho Theatre runs that he did this year Um, Lizzie Bates is another member of uh, the Boom Jennies as well I looked after her uh, just briefly after Edinburgh we had a chat about um, the London run that she did and um, Julia Kirsty, I've mentioned, and I, I have the Henry von Stiefel guys I've looked after. I mean, mm. all these sort of gorgeous and lovely people, and so different yeah. as well. Yeah, I'm running them through in my head, and I'm like, there's no, there's no like set thing for what you're doing. <laughs> no. I mean, how about how about this? Um, maybe, and this this is sort of an avatorial thing you can do if you like, but maybe pick one of the shows at random that you were most proud of. And it'd be cool to know what you. I know it's probably quite uh, tricky for you to yeah. pick a favourite baby, as it were. Yeah. But one that you, one that maybe just explains to someone, because like when I was talking to you uh, in different groups online to get questions and things like this, most people were like, "Oh, a, a PR. You know, does that mean he's just going to do PR stunts, or does that mean he's going to like focus on, you know, like I don't know, getting me to flyer for nine hours? You know, these kind of <laughs> things. And and you no, know, because yeah. not everyone, not everyone knows what PR means no, necessarily no, from not. behind. And it can the mean a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it'd be a good idea yes. to to have a case study of what you've done very recently for an act that you yeah. you know you particularly think, or maybe just like snippets from different ones. Yeah, I think I think yeah, because each one. So, 
because it'll help everyone understand yeah. before they talk to you. Yeah. Like, so it also, it also put maybe some people off talking to you if they they're thinking, oh, I'm not yeah. quite at that stage yet. I don't no, want to waste fine. his time or something. So that would be. Well, I think. I mean, I think last year proved that you could be sort of at any stage and still, um, and still make some time because obviously you know Spencer Brown I mentioned he, and we only met again in the first or second week of the festival and, and kind of basically tried to sort of do what we could from that point on and you know managed to actually get some nice sort of Q&A features in and got reviewers in and all that kind of thing but other people I was working with from sort of June or May or I mean the earlier the better in some respects because the sooner you've got you don't want to be too beholden to your concept and it's a work in progress that's understandable but if you've got enough material for a press release and you've got some images that you're happy with the press release can start going out to long lead um magazines and you know railway magazines that that people will be you know whether they're going up on great eastern or whatever it is and or traveling down those all those magazines have very long lead times of as do uh, you know, men's magazines, women's magazines, monthlies that might do a little Edinburgh corner and want to select a few acts and take some photos. Images are very much a big deal in that respect because most a lot of those sort of pick pick of the fringe things do get picked on the basis of striking image, striking show title, and obviously familiarity. I mean, if Vicky Flanagan goes up and does a fringe show or whatever it might be, you know, of course the big boys will get you know will get picked as well but if you're in the fray early uh with various sort of things in place and you've got as catchy your image and a title as possible that certainly helps but um and then i mean everything you know in terms of touching all bases it's trying to generate as much uh, as many features as possible and i meet when i meet with the clients you know we discuss what elements of their show do they want to discover that they could possibly transfer into an article? Does it have a life outside the show? You know, some people have done shows about um, adoption and, you know, this press that could be had there with slightly, you know, specialist press to some extent or in the sort of lifestyle sections of, uh, you know, magazines and newspapers. So we'll try and get a list, a hit list of, well, a short list of what kind of angles they want to push about themselves or their show if they've just come off the back of a TV project for example and they're starting to get a really kind of blooming uh, CV and all the rest of it then there'll be those elements um, but there might also be things very specific to the show that um, that we want to draw out um, and we'll try you know so we'll try and kind of then identify the kinds of publications that they would be of interest to and the kinds of publications that we want to kind of um, hit anyway you know that whether it's the chortles or whether it's the broadsheets or you know is it suitable for other online journals starting with a kind of uh the you know the kind of wish list and then working your way down depending on whether or not you're getting traction of uh somebody sort of picking that idea up and sometimes those feature ideas can involve other comedians as well so for example last year joe Bohr did a piece about what it's like to be a TV warm-up man because he was uh, with uh, Graham Norton, the Graham Norton show for about three years or something as the warm-up man. So he did a piece that appeared in the Independent, and um, but there were a couple of other comics as well that were uh, involved, and um, it's going to drive me mad because uh, Stephen Bailey. No, well I don't. I know he got mentioned, but stuff. it's Joe Caulfield was Joe Caulfield, involved right. in that as well. Uh, and a couple of 
a couple of others. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stand-ups that do that. So, mm. um, so that was really handy. And then, but you know, got Joe in. Then yes, it wasn't a, it wasn't completely about Joe, but it was it it was a themed piece which involved him very sort of strongly mm. uh, with an image, and that was a nice kind of starter for Edinburgh. Raises the profile, the whole as seen in the independent thing. Um, hmm. Other examples, funnily enough, uh, and um, you can edit this out, you can leave it in, but it's sort of, it's not so much advice, but when you mentioned earlier that you are a tweet for companies, mm. a lot of, I mean, perhaps it's not that surprising, but a lot of comedians do that. And I know that Sam Baines, who I did some very brief PR for when she was in oh, Funny Samantha Women. Baines. Yeah, I know Samantha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, um, she's, that's her job. That's also her job. And I've, I've actually said to her that somebody should pitch an article um, which encompasses a number of of you who are comedians on tweeting for social media and you know what the pitfalls are and what the kind of funny stories around that might be but also that people kind of think it may be obvious that comedians would be good at that kind of job but the fact is that's one of the things that comedians are doing this is that's why they're gonna that's what companies benefiting from it Mm. whatever it might be so those kind of packaged kind of things we identify um we try and cross and then there's the sort of fun fight to kind of get as the um, uh, you know get people onto radio shows when we're in Edinburgh get petite people onto TV packages because it's actually local media now doing more and more kind of themed packages they might be doing stuff about political comedy one week and about sketch comedy the next and so you know we're very much kind of uh, pushing clients to get involved in those packages and using the kind of unique selling points and the themes of their shows as a strength, looking out for opportunities, creating opportunities over broadcast media and print media and online um, to just, even if it's just to get a mention in a list of people, sometimes it could be anything from that upwards to a, a full-blown feature, really. Okay. Um, and then, of course, reviews, which is, you know, uh, a lot of the oil or petrol or whatever you want. To fuel. <laughs> fuel. 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 I knew there yeah. was a word, yeah. <laughs> Like you know, comes conjures right. up images of pyromania, doesn't it? But <laughs> as we want, you know, petrol on the reviews ad match. Um, <laughs> Some of them, maybe. You know, <laughs> it, it's that's like you know that is like full on um, lobbying basically to get reviewers in uh, to see the shows. Clashes one of the biggest challenges with that in terms of uh, what hours people are on, mm. um, what they're doing. You know, are they that sort of t- tricky zone between 7.30 and 9.30 and that's always mm. sort of, you know. Yeah. Um, I've just asked for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, uh, the thing is, I did a, I did a, well, I, I was a stand-in stand-up for a, for a show this year, which basically means they had a lot of people that kept dropping out the year before and so they knew they'd need someone that would just come in and, you know, like, be last-minute replacement. And it was lovely and it was really good. I got a gig basically every day but not a guaranteed one. And it was like round the 7.30, 7 o'clock mark. And I found my material went down quite well there. Uh, and it was quite fun to just do my club set, as it were, you know, once a day as well as doing the show. So I'm hoping I can do the show then. But, you know, the, it's kind of the the peak time. But yeah. also what we found was, or what the promoter found is, uh, because they, they filled up simply because people were like, oh, we'll book the show, we'll book the show. We didn't book the show. It sold out. We're out now. Let's find a show. And there's a free one around the corner. Yeah. Around to that one. Yeah. So I think it was kind of the the overflow that helped get those shows stuff rather than marketing in some way. Yeah. Which isn't always the best way of getting. Well, I mean, the, they don't know what they're getting. I tell you something. Um, 
one of the funniest, uh, well, not the funniest, but one fun little anecdote from last year. And I'm sure this has happened before, but Liam Williams was out in the meadows in a pub doing his hour. And in order to stake your claim to go and see Liam, a lot of people were going to see the show before. And um, seeing that show and staying in the bar for Liam, which was, uh, you know, that's how they did it. Um, that's how I did it, actually. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of, kind of glad I did because I, there's a double bill on before that of um, one of the guys just want to know what... I can't remember Amir's surname, but you might know, I know Amir. Amir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I found that uh, half an hour really sweet and really fun and, and very sly yeah, in a good way. Mm. Um, and then he had uh, this other guy, George, who's a clown. There's this Belgian guy called George, and I've forgotten okay. what George's surname is. But those guys got so much more exposure from that yeah. than they would have bargained for simply because of the you know I mean that's just one of those freaks of scheduling isn't it's it you can't, yeah. you can't pot like you can't mm. bargain for that but yeah making your own luck is obviously very much about um, you know going out there seeing those opportunities there's always loads of Q&A's that um, that are online and that the, you know say the Scotsman and the Herald do and, and you know finding the time I had a lot of conscientious acts actually that were really good at doing those kind of things and put effort into filling in all those kind of um, sell your show kind of yeah. spots that uh, you know kind of rife online and um, there's a never ending list of of, of, uh, of things you can do as well because all these things that come up during the festival as well mm. that are funny anecdotes and I try and get there aren't many diary columns unfortunately um, around French time but any that there are are always looking for kind of fun stories or news desks are looking to run a kind of short fun story um i mean the, the yeah and the reviewers the legwork in terms of actually getting reviewers in is is um you know it very important and i, I know it's that's long you do you know. as well well i mean that's absolutely part part of the yeah that's a major part of it once you're actually up there um because by the time you're up there i mean there's, there's still plenty of stuff to kind of fight for in terms of airtime and all the rest of it but you know, you really are wanting to get the buzz in and you really are wanting to get reviewers in and to help them to kind of facilitate getting them in at times that are in days that are convenient to them. Um, in, ter in terms of, because for me, for example, I one of the things I didn't want to do last year, but just ha happened to happen, I had a couple of agents see my show. And next year, I kind of want to push for that a little bit more, yeah. simply because I kind of want to get a live booker to help me out yeah. with my thing. Is that something, like if we sat down, and like if we were doing it, if we sat down and said you know, oh, I want to hit these agents. Do you ever, do you go out to them as well and say? Yeah, I have started to do that. I mean, I think in one of the, I've kind of started to, uh, well, I'm working with um, a guy called Atif Nawaz and he's done a lot of stuff on, um, it's done a lot of TV stuff, a lot of presenting and it's got a comedy hour, done a couple of hour long shows. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of discussing things like that as well in terms of inviting people to, see him either doing club sets or doing his hour show um and yeah i mean that's you know and then trying to find someone that will then take on the live booking arm and you know do all those kind of things that a support team does whether it's a manager agent that kind of thing but some people start off with none of those and they start off more on the kind of pr side whether they're doing it themselves or mm. hiring someone to do it to try and feed into that mm. and literally get people in yeah okay and well, we found out about you from, from laughing horse yes that's but right. i assume you don't have you you're not limited to just working with them 
in terms of like if someone had a show with PBH or with um, no, you know, uh, I mean, Christopher or something. There's no. What's your relationship with well, Martin? Yeah, I started when I sort of my first step towards representing people full time in PR was one of them was to write. I wrote to a few people actually, but and Alex was one of them saying, you know, I could come in and sort of give your acts a kind of uh, a sort of a particular sort of a free a free rate if you like and uh, not a free rate a, a reduced rate <laughs> for free festival things and Alex was very open in terms of uh, cooperating with Bob's bookshop and Freestable I think to some extent so I ended up offering acts going to those venues a reduced rate so my roster last year was essentially based on Freestable free festival and Bob's uh, Spencer Jones was Bob's uh, Heroes of Fringe um, and that's essentially how we did it so it's kind of through uh, Alex punting out details on the website, but then of course Freestyle and Bob's also did the same. Um, mm. Just to have a kind of well, this, this, there was a standard package, and then there was a reduced rate essentially, and that was covering PR and directing. Because I said I've directed a few people as well, um, and I think I would only do I sort of looking to give show notes to people, but I'm not sure whether I will stretch myself to doing I really enjoyed the directing but I think the PR is so engrossing that to try and take on sometimes it makes sense to do both for an act it might still be possible depends on the act I have to have that discussion and it depends on the numbers but so and a lot of people obviously came through those channels um, through Feast of All through you know and I ended up with the roster of 14 through that mm. now I've got a few people that I'm already working with and looking to take them all the way through the fringe this year so I'm kind of just trying to see how that's sort of stacking up, stacking up. So I think I'm not sure whether I, you know, I think I'm basically just going to say this is the package this year and try and take 10 people or something like that. I think okay. um, somewhere like between eight and 10 people. Because mm. um, I know from looking at your, your website and, and some of the other things you do, one of the, one of the big things you offer people is uh, help with press releases and, and copy going out to uh, different magazines and stuff. I mean, is there is there maybe a list of, I don't know, maybe you could say now like a few major stumbling blocks people come across so that when they come to you, they have removed those from those press releases so that the time with you is better spent, if that makes sense. So, Yeah, I mean, it's obviously like press releases, like the calling card, it's one of the, the basic things that you need. And so that's very much I have to be all over that and helping people with that and some people are already writing in their sort of day job so some some of the sort yeah. of copy that gets to me is like yeah wow, okay uh well done um you <laughs> know you some, but, but <laughs> then um yeah. you know sometimes it needs a bit more of a sort of teasing out and but then that's sort of part of the process as well of getting the show's identity together as well um yeah there's there is a kind of a a sort of structure that if a press release arrives in that shape, it really moves things along. And, and to be honest, that structure is more or less identified in notes given to all performers by the Fringe office. And I think the Brighton Fringe do a similar thing as well. There's, there's a template PR, uh, so template press release that they give out and they give some hints about, you know, what you should be putting in the sort of first paragraph. And, and there are a couple of schools of thought might vary that slightly but broadly speaking if things come 
in that adhere to those kind of structures it's very easy to then sort of do any sort of rejigging and tarting up essentially yeah yeah so i mean uh when you were a reviewer when you were going through press release, I mean, did you go through press release or did, or did, I mean, when you, when you were reviewing, did the magazine or newspaper yeah. have a predefined list of people they had to cover or could you cover who you wanted or could it be a combination of both? There's a combination, I think it's a combination of both really. Um, y- yeah, usually. So, sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, I worked for Fest and they usually gave all their reviewers a kind of predefined list of what they wanted but it doesn't mean to say there wasn't negotiation about if you knew someone that wasn't on your list and somebody else wasn't covering it and you thought they should cover it mm. there was definitely dialogue there um that's kind of good to hear from the performer end because sometimes you feel like um reviewers are sort of told okay go to see all these things and then you can go and see two other shows and review those do you know what i mean yeah and then there's kind of a limited you know what i mean you feel like oh you've got no time to come see mine i won't even bother trying to talk to you it's kind of nice to hear that that some magazines and newspapers are flexible in terms of letting you i mean obviously not all of them they're, yeah. they're, not, they're not able to do that and that's you know their media but, you know if space. you've been writing for them for a long enough time as well then it's something and you have sort of recommendations then yeah definitely you know i mean they'll take a lead and on that respect um as, as a pr person are you allowed to have lead like are you allowed to like say to the newspapers I, I've been told you're not covering this show that I'm dealing with. I think it should be covered because as a former reviewer, oh, is that, is that a conflict I don't think I'll put it like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, all right, fine. I think, I, think, I just think, you, you know, you, you just have to kind of make the case. You have to make the case for the act and, and explain why they really ought to come and see the show. And, you know, you can't expect that they will cover everything because they just simply won't. Hmm. But that you'll still be on a regular intervals extolling the virtues of that show if you really think they're sort of missing a trick by not seeing it they might not they're not going to come and see everything on your roster necessarily um but you know there are there are going to be shows that you think i think it'd be a bit silly to miss this but you wouldn't be saying that <laughs> in so many words yeah, you just yeah. sort of be sort of highly recommending that they come and see it. and they might have seen that person before and have a link that, that you know you can mention there's a you know there's a way into it that kind of conversation there's always some kind of hook um i if you can praise i I tell you what there's a really good then this sort of answers the question about press releases as well which is a tricky one because it's it's nice to have a good press release and a good image on it and a good title and and it is part as a calling card but it isn't isn't the be all and end all um if you've got a show um that can be put succinctly into you know a particular a couple of senses in terms of what the gist is and it sounds and the premise of it sounds funny you're on a winner i think it's a bit like writing a sitcom and i remember that one of the women who was on the team of seinfeld did a show in edinburgh i can't believe i've forgotten her name but that's the way it goes in interviews names escape you but i remember interviewing her so i had my journalist hat on and she was saying that, you know, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld would always say that an episode word would work if you could sum it up in one sentence and that sentence made you laugh. So similarly with pushing a show, if you can sum your show up in one sentence and that captures the imagination, it might make you laugh, but it at least captures the imagination, then that's really <laughs> quite handy. Yeah. Um, title and image obviously go sort of hand in hand with that too, but 
you know that that in terms of the way that things move and the pace that people move at and the pace that they make decisions at then those kind of things are can be vital essentially you know there will be times when subject matter just or concepts of certain things just don't necessarily appeal i mean i i'm sure that the the whole disney thing i mean i'm not i wouldn't classify myself as a disney fan either and i'm talking about rebecca show disney rascal but i felt like a disney fan after that and i mean and that's the show that's very much about the pros and cons of of disney as well but um it's not something that you know as a reviewer i wonder how much i would have made an effort to go and see that but i know that the people who did go and see it felt very rewarded by the experience uh Obviously, I'd seen it a few times by then as well, so I knew that I I knew that I could safely say to somebody, I know I, I may know what you're thinking about the whole Disney thing, but you have to suspend that. I mean, we've heard that all we've heard that a lot when people say, "Look, I know what you're thinking, but but it's just there was no getting around it. That yeah. that was what the scenario was, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just take the cliche and go with it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so. We talked about your fringe PR for quite a bit. Yeah. You, do you do? Because I know you've already published. You published a book as well called God about um, a billion years ago. Yeah. The Rough Guide to British Cult Comedy. Yes. Uh, yes. Do you do PR for books as well? No. Um, my only so far, maybe my only brush with the publishing world, mm, cue gnashing of teeth, um, <laughs> was the Rough Guide to British Cult Comedy, which came out in two thousand and six, and it was part of. The Rough Guide series of uh, the words, reason why it had cult in the title is they'd already done cult fiction and cult movies and you know, um, so it it's kind of unique in the sense that it was a kind of coffee table book on comedy just before the comedy boom, I think, and probably could have benefited from being a couple of years later. Um, but quite honestly, people would not get that kind of information from a book now. You know, like Bruce Desso writes books about the. Well, he wrote a book about comedy scandals recently, and he writes books which kind of talks about a range of comedians under a partic- particular theme. And um, is that the Le- London Evening Standard? Yeah, he's yeah. the standards critic. Yeah, and um, sorry, because I was talking to him an hour ago. We're, we're yeah, on, yeah, we're going on in a week. So yeah, lots of yeah. books. He's done yeah. tons, tons of books, and uh, and that's the way you can write books about comedy now if you, t- you do them under a theme. But the way that The Rough Guide was done was a kind of coffee table compendium. It's just, with all the online content of comedy, it just wouldn't be worth doing a book like that, I don't think, again. Uh, it'd be nice to do an app mm. or based on it or something like that. There's, but there's enough stuff filling that gap. Re- well, yeah, that um, really kind of... Uh, what's the knee? Uh, what's the... Well, it, it kind of belies the need for, for actually having that. Um, sorry, do I pick up my water? Um, for <laughs> having that kind of book. I mean, I'm really glad I did it. It really, it really honed. I did it very early on in my comedy career because um, I started writing about comedy in 2003 and I was writing that book by about 2004. It came out in 2006. Uh, it meant touching base with a lot more people, getting to know a lot, getting to know a lot more about the industry um just kind of that was quite uh intense sort of period and uh i think that's a good thing because it just you know it just 
brought me up to well I was kind of already up to speed because of the various Edinburgh's that I was doing but it, it just I don't know it was just a really good thing to do um and it's a good experience to have but I don't have any love from the publishing world after doing it quite frankly okay. <laughs> um and I was you know I remember talking to Jimmy Carr who had a book out with the same publisher that year and uh obviously sold a lot more than I did but um <laughs> he even he was like they're they've not done a very good job marketing my book um but you know having said that you then realize what the kind of constraints of the book market are and it is tough and it isn't you know writing a book these days you know especially non-fiction i think i don't know i'm not sure we should be which is tougher actually but it, it's tr it's a really saturated market really um so you know it but i mean you know what a great thing to do what a great opportunity to have i mean oh, you yeah. know i mean i don't want to be sort of uh i don't want to be churlish about it apart from the fact that i felt like i was one man band running around town trying to publicize it myself yeah uh, not that i'm like bitter or anything um <laughs> or have that kind of steve martin thing where someone says cleaning woman i go completely yeah, ancient. yeah, yeah. has anyone seen dead men don't wear plaid <laughs> come on people um yeah you know i mean it i think it was good for comedy to have books written about it as well and to have a kind of um if that helps in any way sort of uh, legitimize it i mean it's been a massive comedy boom i don't think i think that com you know comedians are now they're pundits on things like question time and they fit into all sorts of roles and by the very nature they're very adaptable people comedy is an adaptable form and it's endlessly fascinating uh it doesn't necessarily come with a an expansion of writing about the form. Obviously, Edinburgh is different because there's always masses of articles, that, um, you know, around Edinburgh time, and that's that's understandable and that's fair enough. And actually, maybe by the time that's all over, you can understand why it might cool down the rest of the year. Obviously, when comedians start appearing in theatre shows and in sitcoms and you know what have you, um, then we start to kind of get to know a bit more about them and. Hmm you know quite often they're still doing their live stuff and and all the rest of it yeah so so aside from um don't do it do you have any oh, advice right. for anyone yeah anyone, sorry. do you have any <laughs> advice for anyone who who because i know a lot of comedians are writing books or trying to write books on yeah. the side or anything like that do you have any advice for the getting into the publishing industry or, or getting i mean they contact you or did you contact them or oh did... i did pitch it yeah i pitched it to them i pitched okay. it to them um and it was one of those rare moments where somebody, we were in a bookstore and a friend said to me, oh, why don't you try writing a, or Rough Guides of British Cult Comedy? And I was like, yeah, you know, and I said, I will check that out. And I checked it out and it happened. That's And that's pretty good because when I think of the number of things that go on the to-do list of why don't I try and do this mm. and the number that have come off, then, you know, you've got to be quite sort of proud of that, really. Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of comedians writing all sorts of books. I mean, of course, they should absolutely write them because mine was a quite a niche non-fiction affair and i can't imagine anyone trying to sort of uh, replicate that now um and there's lots of shows that really lend themselves to sort of be being done in sort of book form i think um god yeah i don't know i mean it, it's it, advice it's so long ago as well obviously it came out you know 2006 and i was being work i was working on it sort of 2004 so it's like Ten years ago, it's, it's already um, quite a lot of advice. You don't have to. Yeah. Don't don't feel pressure. I mean, in terms of, <laughs> but um, I certainly wouldn't discourage anyone from 
writing a book book i mean my partner writes fiction books and you know and i'm thrilled and she's got a great agent and i know that you know publishing isn't the devil's work it's just that i do have a particularly sort of uh you've got a ne- you've you've had a less than pol- less than positive experience with it so that's kind but of but then i think it's expectation it's maybe this is good maybe this is a sort of bit of good advice that can come from all this because it's about it's about expectation. I mean, I was told that it would sell and actually, quite frankly, under my terminology of selling, it definitely did not reach that uh, <laughs> terminology. So I was, yeah, not happy. Um, <laughs> thank no, God it's so long ago that I, re- honestly, Vix, I really don't care. It's just the fact that, you know, if you have a certain amount, if you have a sort of expectation of that, then actually during the process, I kind of realised when you look around at what, other titles are doing and the mm. throughput of books and what's coming out and what the competition is mm. and where all the marketing is and all what big tables are groaning with you know comedy biographies and all the rest of it i mean it, you know it then it becomes a bit more of a no-brainer yeah. and you're just sort of thinking well i don't know why i had that expect partly you're thinking i don't know why i had those expectations and partly you're thinking i don't know why nobody disabused me yeah, having yeah. those expectations i can yeah yeah i know what you mean i mean i'm thankful that my my publisher is yeah. just very down to earth and very much, you know, this is what we project. This yeah. is what we're probably going to get. This is what we're extrapolating based on other, you know, titles, all this kind of stuff. And they've kept my expectations quite um, good, but not low. It's yeah. the best way of explaining yeah, it. Yeah, and no, I'm really good, happy that about that. Gonna, I mean, if it goes you know, up, I'd rather, you know what I mean? What I should say is that it hasn't stopped me having ideas for... Um, I've sort of, you know, doodled with things like TV treatments and uh, and I've also doodled with book ideas and that, you know, got one book idea that uh, an agent was interested in. It was a co-author thing with a, another comedian, but they they had another agent for something else. There was a bit of a, bit of a problem, but it was a really good idea, um, you know, using comedy as a kind of um, way of illustrating a particular subject. And it got me quite excited and it did, you know, and I think it's... It wouldn't. I wouldn't. My previous experience wouldn't stop me from kind of resuscitating that mm. in the future if there was ever a kind of an opportunity to. Um, That's good. That's cool. Out of, yeah. out of interest, um, on your bookshelf, like, yes. do you have any books on any not just comedy, but like just anything you would recommend for performers or for PR or for marketing or any of those kind of things? Um, right now, that's a good question. I mean, a slightly touch it. As soon as you ask that question, it always just what makes me think of the question of. Do you need to study to be funny? Uh, which is <laughs> a whole other kettle of fish because obviously there's there's comedy courses and um, which are you know some of the alumni of comedy courses like Logan Murray's mm. comedy course for example. For, well, <laughs> it's funny. I I did like years ago. I did some open spots under my own out of my own curiosity, right? And kind of did about three and i quite enjoyed it but i just thought oh, i've got my curiosity out and then i had this article to do uh, to write about state of british comedy and the editor had heard that there were comedy courses and said can you go to one and just introduce the article by coloring a session that your first session at this and it was logan's comedy course run by amuse moose and hills obviously and i said to hills look you, do you mind if i sort of follow on for the rest of the course but it was weird because i didn't do even though I'd already performed some comedy at open spots, when it got to the performance part of that course, I kind of slightly flaked out a bit, really. Um, And it didn't... To me, I mean, it's a great course and great people have come from it, and I'm not 
doing down courses because I think they can be really helpful and it's brilliant to start off with a supportive kind of thing but I quite enjoyed doing it organically and it was just I don't know it was just and I like structured things as well you know I respond really well to kind of following courses and stuff like that but it's um it didn't come although I'd, I'd probably already got it out of my system I suppose but it didn't come as naturally when I was in that environment um but I mean it can't do any you know I know some amazing people that have, have done it and I think it's only sort of helped them and I think there are people that probably would have done it anyway yeah. um really so they're really you know they are but they're a really interesting thing and I think if you're interested in comedy and the mechanics of it as well I mean you why wouldn't you do a course because it's just kind of you know if you can afford to do it in terms of time and money yeah it's just an interesting thing to do um and so I mean in terms of like uh, practical tomes and and essential reading it doesn't even have to be that I mean it can be like some other people have recommended uh like biographies of comedians they like or uh books on you know how backgrounds of stage stuff to put together like performance and yeah. stuff like that so it doesn't have to sorry I should have no, I, oh, well, no, I mean in the open. wider oeuvre I um, mean and also it can be from your background to do with marketing or writing or like if you if you read a book to help you structure your book or anything like that I know for my first one I, I found a couple of them really handy just to you know like get my thoughts yeah. in order and stuff so it doesn't have to necessarily just be about comedy this is a uh, it's an open question on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, well, I mean, God, you know, there's so much. I mean, I did, I did read a lot in order to sort of, in, for the book, and I, it's not, I'm not, my brain is not serving. I think I've got my afternoon slump on. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, the Frank Skinner's biography, I think, is one of the sort of great uh, comedians' biographies. It's just a fun read as well as everything else. Um Oh, what else? I mean, podcasts, to be honest, are a great way of sort okay. of informing, you know, what, what with Mark Maron or, okay. um, and Stuart Goldsmith's as well. It's kind of like a random collection of things, really. Um, I like dipping into some of Bruce's books, like anecdotes about comedy. Um, from a sort of critic's point of view, it's not so much to do with the craft. Um, lots of good American books... Um, would it would it be easy for you to recommend DVDs of shows that you particularly like or that you think people should look up to get some inspiration from or something? Um, well, no, I mean I think it's a whole range of things. You should have asked me this before, and I could come. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, don't well, worry. You can email it in. You can email in. Yeah, what you I think might have be, to because I'm fine. feeling a bit. Um, okay, we'll, we'll we'll move on from that, and I'll I'll just send you an email. Yeah. Oh, there was one other thing. Sorry about because um, you have an association with the Fosters Awards. Well, I did because I was a judge when I was a yeah. critic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, at the mo so does that mean that there's a conflict of interest with you putting people forward for the competition or for awards and things, or is that now? Oh no, I mean I I can't put people forward, but I can. The judges should normally. Well, the way the awards work is the scouts would normally come and see every show right. that they don't of the sort of comedians they don't know about and report back, and then the panel will send the judge the organizational team of the fosters then send the panel out to go and see the shows that the scouts have picked up plus the obvious ones you know i mean if someone you know i don't know john robbins oh probably scout won't bother going to see john robbins because they know from previous years that it's just an example you know or sarah pascoe again or someone like that you know people will just get sent out to see them mm. So, I mean, I don't have a role with Fosters. I mean, I've written for the website, but 
Does that's it? just as a copywriting role, really. Does I mean, it? I have a role with Foster's in 2007, 2008 when I was on their panel, but yeah. that's because I was a critic. Yeah. And now it's like, I write, I write sort of copywriting for their website, but I don't have any, you know... You can't be a judge now. Cause I'm not a ju- I w- yeah. would never be a judge or anything like that. No. Okay. Because yeah. I know you judged other competitions before. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't do but that then now, I, I don't... No, I mean, if I... I was asked to do the new act of the year and I said to them that I couldn't because... Um, I said to them, oh, at the time I said, but I'm not a critic anymore. I'm a PR. If you still want me to judge, I'm happy because none of my clients are actually on the list. But actually one of my clients is now on the list. So that, <laughs> would, de- that would definitely be out. Um, but I still, I still like the Leicester Square Comedy Awards I did, hmm. and they, you know, and they know sort of well know what I do now, sort of thing. But so if anyone wants a PR as an industry person on a panel, that's fine. Yeah, but, but obviously if I was representing somebody on the list, um, hmm. then it wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't, wouldn't be fine. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on media stunts during the Fringe? Uh, yeah, actually, that's one of the elements well, um, that we didn't talk about i didn't mention when we were going through stuff with the acts in terms of their potential for features and ideas and things like that and you know one of the one of the things that we can discuss is is some form of stunt um and that takes a bit of planning so the sooner the better to get underway on that and i'm trying to think of a good example um of you know we've suggested lots of photo calls in the in the past and haven't necessarily had the time to do it because I've generally been meeting people in sort of June or, or later and that it's once where everything else is going on there's not always the time but um so basically contact you as early as possible well yeah definitely so that you know if we we try and draw something out of the show and oh god I've had such I'm just trying to think of a really good idea so one of the ideas like I had a character comedian who's doing uh a cooking character and uh, a chef character sorry I should say and you know we had an idea about where we could go in Edinburgh to try and make that into kind of like a live happening and make it something uh, sort of photo worthy and interesting um, for both still cameras and uh, rolling cameras um, and you know whether we could invite other sort of celebrities to be part of it to sort of boost up the profile sometimes you need that with a, a less well known act or whether the actual um, kind of cooking idea that we were going to do in itself um it would you know would be sort of photogenically interesting uh you know we were talking about maybe trying to do break a world record which is quite a, a well-known way of trying to sort of have a stunt or whether it would be something like specifically fringe based um you know selling comedian cakes to see which one kind of sold the most like they do at election time they sell blue cakes red cakes etc um uh all various ideas we had around that thing but but the principle i suppose what i'm trying to get across is that there was you know they had a particular element of the show which would have worked visually um and we try and sort of think around that so what can we do that takes you out of the show it doesn't have to be something that you do in the show but in that character can you give cookery lessons to kids or can you do some you know can you cook some kind of crazy ass pie that's the size of the Greyfriars Bobby I don't know you know what, but you know thinking outside the box of just giving something that is you know potentially potentially sort of visually interesting I mean God, we've had all sorts of things like um 
I mean, what, what do you think makes a good stunt? Like, I mean, other than, uh, I mean, obviously getting coverage is like a, a main yeah. priority of that. But I mean, is there stunts that you know that like, you know, didn't get the coverage they should have done, but were just good? I mean, are there... I think stunts just generally can get, there is a lot of saturation. And it's also about the kind of reporting and how much you can get out of an office to go and photograph something. And it can be quite simple. You know, I, I remember a, a friend of mine was in a play about it was this comedy play about Russian brides and they went onto the Royal Mile um, three pretty girls dressed in wedding dresses marrying passers-by and I know that the Scotsman took a photo of them but you know because there's the obvious allure of the fact of sort of you know three nice looking girls in wedding dresses on the Royal Mile it, it, it could have been it could have been anyone else they could have been dressed uh, you could have had a you could have done it another way but it had an obvious kind of thing that the papers sort of go for um in that respect um it could be uh, i'm just trying to think um it should really fit into like a paper's narrative as well because i'm sure assuming like if there's already like a storyline going on you know it'd be yeah. quite good to have something that would so if, if for example there was something quite reactive happening on on uh during the fringe like if there's like a a run of i don't know a run of oranges going to the fringe. Well, I mean, <laughs> That's let's a really um, silly one, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, I'm, you I'm conscious like orange, that I'm flagging a little bit here, but um, I, and which I know is an important point not to be flagging when we're talking about the nuts and bolts of it. But let's, okay. if I'm thinking about one of the things that sticks out stunt-wise that sticks out, I know that on the meadows, um, one of the venues did a, I think it was a free. I think it was PBH's Free Fringe did the throwing tomatoes at pictures of critics and you know so something like that it's both interactive it says something about the fringe and about the comedy you know it had all the all those sort of elements there and obviously very visually interesting both to a, move, a rolling camera and a still camera mm. um, those kind of things are ideal and actually anything that there's quite often safety in numbers so um, if you're an acrobatics troupe you know, quite often, if you do something in an outside context and it's interesting, yeah, you know, you're bang on, you're right yeah. there. And, and if you're, but if you're a solo act, you might well need to bring friends into that um, remit to, well, into that scenario to help you out and to bolster the effect of whatever your message is. I um, mean, I did a PR seminar with Who You're Gonna Call, which was the Ghostbusters musical. Love that. And show. we yeah. talked. I have sadly yeah. not seen it but we talked really? about it. i know oh, i really have to go into it i know i'd really love to actually and um you know i spoke to katie about you know doing something at cinema um that wasn't uh, which they did they actually had a cinema night and that was just a good promotional thing just generally i think they provided a kind of an alternative sort of soundtrack if you like to the film or kind of right. did a narration when the film was going and they did that quite early on in the fringe and they did it at the picture house or the film house I think nice. and that was a really good even just generally kind of getting at bars and inviting people along and, and just as a happening but as more of a press stunt we talked about things like um, invading other people's shows or um, well that, again that's still word of mouthy that's not necessarily a, a kind of photo snap off um, but there were various kind of contexts in which that could have you know they could have invaded the uh you could pre-arrange this, but they could have invaded the Scottish Parliament building, or probably not in August when nothing's happening, but <laughs> something yeah. something like that. You know, you, you, stunts can generally... You, you can have things that are more off the cuff and spontaneous, but, you know, when you're, if you're trying to capture a moment and make sure that somebody's there to capture it, you know, there's an element of premeditation, I think. Um, hmm. 
to some extent. Um, I think it's really important to do them. I think to anticipate the other question about Markham Hardy Awards, that's really good because it carries the, the, the spirit of the fringe uh, and it rewards people for thinking outside the box and doing things that are different. And I think that's really important for the fringe. It's a really good buzzy thing to do. It doesn't always get the kind of press splash, but it can sometimes give you a kind of. Um, I find it's more for comedy lovers, those it, ones. It, I feel yeah, it's, you know I mean? but I mean, like the the cunt and the gang stickers and and all the rest of it. You know, I, I, because of the nature of it, I don't know how widely it was reported. There was certainly a reasonable amount on the internet, mm. so things do get round in that uh, respect. Um, and I was. You know, but it was also a kind of buzzy thing between people. You know, people were talking about it, and you know, you had stickers around, so your curiosity is naturally drawn to. I want to go and see the show that has this symbol and find out about more about these people. Um, I want to know who the cock guys are, basically. You know, is the question running through mine? So there are gorilla things like that um, that you know that can be done, and I think it's you've got the time to put towards it, and you've got a good concept. Um, of of what you're doing and it says something about your show but as also says something about something else then that's you know like i'm just trying to think of a kind of hard and fast sort of example but it just it's basically something that exists outside of the show and and draws people into curiosity about the character but was also fulfilling some kind of other narrative um and like a challenge you know quite often it could be based around a challenge or something kind of goofy like spencer jones had a clown character and the show was about him being in his own house which had been in a massive state because the builders were in and they were literally moving house and they had all this building equipment around him so he was playing with building equipment and you know god knows what else so you could have had him doing some kind of uh kind of outdoor challenge with you know building related and stuff like that these, these are things that you know the, the longer they're thought through beforehand he was gonna do i tell you what we're gonna do with spencer as well he was gonna bring rubble from his house <laughs> and put it into like little kind of well he was gonna either like put it into plastic sachets or we were just gonna get bits of bric-a-brac that would have come from the house like you know literally bricks or like light fittings or something like that and he was gonna give away um those sort of things at the end of the show so you could literally take a piece literally take a piece of the show away with you which would have been a really fun thing to do but it involves transportation of said items <laughs> and storage of said items yeah. so you know there is an ambition level there as, as well to sort of counter um or to take into account i should say and then uh russ mulligan i looked after his his debut and he was at the festival this year and one of the things he wanted to do was set a food bank at his venue um and because he's doing a lot of political comedy and, and what have you and again it's not something that it was one of those ideas that was floated but didn't necessarily materialize because there was just too much other stuff going on you know but it's and also we were talking about it in june and quite frankly that you know that's not quite always close. yeah that's quite close when you've got other things and you mine's focused on honing the show in preview season which is in july that's you know it's a tall order mm. but it's one of the most exciting parts of the process is actually talking about those things and the earlier they're talked about um the better because then that that means that you have done the homework and you've 
phoned the relevant venues and the relevant people. Um, had a br- oh, had a brilliant <laughs> idea with uh, with Anna Emerson um, that I'm going to keep under wraps because <laughs> I want it to still happen. It was relevant to her, and she may well come up with a show similar to that. And that involved, you know, getting in touch with the venues and getting in touch with the council and the fringe office and lining all those ducks in a row just to make sure that we could have the space that we wanted to. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that has to be done. Mm. Good six months out, you know. So um, just to kind of wrap up, what what would be like maybe one or two bits of advice that you would give? Maybe one bit of advice as a reviewer and one bit of advice as a PR man mm. for someone doing their first show. Okay, right. Well, I mean, be shop around do this do the homework and the shopping in the sense of come come to edinburgh beforehand let's assume that that's obviously what this person has done they've mm. come to see what's on offer and be confident in thinking that the show says the best about your abilities that it possibly can that it's saying something different if you want it to say something different i guess there's no rule that it has to but it, you know that people will take away with it something that they will talk about afterwards and engage with that's essentially what you're you're aiming for um think about what it is about your show and yourself that you can essentially mine and juice for press angles that can you know that that can be used avenues that you can explore um the more ideas you've got the you know the more chances you've got to throw something at feature or stunt as we just Mm. talked about um so have work with your pr to basically get those ducks in a row um so that's a preparedness of of checklist of things like okay we haven't got a hook we haven't got a bite on this hook but we're going to try this idea and -and so-and-so's interested in that and da 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 you know um expectations i think you have to manage them in some respect because it is a bum fight out there there's so many factors can affect whether a review will come and see your show if that's what you're particularly concerned about um if you're happy to just have it use it as a learning experience i suppose that takes the pressure off to some extent but you still want some exposure and i completely understand that an act coming to edinburgh wants some kind of tangible record of them their efforts from being there they can get the audience feedback and good houses that's great um they can get a feeling that they've advanced as a comedian which is just obviously what they will want um as an act and but what they will also expect and you know that's what my role is there to facilitate that is some records of their efforts someone commenting on their show or someone you know attesting to their existence at that festival and and the the messages of their show you know be that a feature a review a piece on the telly or all of the above of course mm. and in multiple you know units um and just to feel that again from the pr side we both got to feel that you know we threw everything at it and also had a legacy of where to go next and a roadmap of, of how to sort of push the show on to maybe touring maybe a few nights here and there um maybe sort of just other ideas the rest of the year that will keep the press sort of interested and keep the profile up so that some someone at some point along the lines can say oh yeah i remember seeing that little piece about 
so-and-so in Metro or whatever it might be in April. And, although the name just sort of rings a bell. And I think keeping the profile up the rest of the year, I'm sort of wandered into other territory now, but it's very important. That's a service that I would like to do and then try and do for some comedians. I'm doing it with Atif and I'm going to work with as many people as possible throughout the rest of the year should they want to retain me. Otherwise, it's very much just about the kind of magnetic pull about of Edinburgh, which often it is that's what it's about anyway. Um, yeah, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of it's uh, enjoy it if you can, because, you know, there, I mean, there's a lot of advice <laughs> last, you can take. You can yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's a lot of advice, advice you can take from people and um, you're not going to be able to tick every box. You're not necessarily going to be able yeah, to get everything done that you thought that you might be but um you might do achieve but you can if you can enjoy it and feel that it was worth it that's that's a good thing and if you go with a kind of you know an open open mind obviously and um just the you know but still with the kind of ability to sort of to focus i think you know it's such a it's such a worthwhile experience you know you just got to feel right you've also got to feel ready that that is that is your time don't rush it i mean this is what everyone's advice always ends on this i think you know it's the one thing that we can all whether you're an agent or a pr or whatever don't don't rush it don't feel that yeah it's a big party sort of but don't feel that just because you don't go one year you're being left out in any way you've got to feel instinctively ready you've got to be true to yourself and actually think yeah this is my time i'm totally totally ready for this the party will be there next year yeah basically. yeah so um last last thing just so yeah. that we all know what we can do if because obviously you're going back up next year and you're hoping to find new people if someone wanted to contact you about you know working with them on their show or their pr what's the best way of getting hold of you what ways would you like to be contacted and uh, do you prefer to come see previews or like fully formed shows? Uh, happy to see 20 minutes, 40 minutes. Don't mind, you know, the whole 50, 60 minutes. Uh, I'll get a decent idea. Uh, I know there's different context, but yeah, I mean, I can't expect everyone to have that 40, 50, 60 minutes at this stage, for example. Um, so more than happy to um, come see them at a club night if I've not seen them before and so on and so forth. Uh, contact me through website. I'm in on Twitter at Textual Healing Two uh, at Textual Healing Two, and my website is textualhealing dot uh, co dot uk. I think. <laughs> uh, and um, all, all links will be in the show notes. So yeah, yeah, I'll totally. Sure I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, email, email, text, phone. You know, cool. and I'm okay to put your personal email. Absolutely, on yeah, yeah. Okay. All those details. So that'll be there. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been lovely to have you. Oh, cheers. thanks very much. Right, very much enjoyed it. That was Julian. Uh, I hope you all got something out of that. He, I found him delightful to chat to, and he's so earnest and learned about everything to do with uh, journalism and reviews and writing, but also, uh, obviously, he's got a lot of experience with PR people from both sides of the fence, as we, as we talked about. And it's just interesting to talk to someone who has that frame of reference. I think most of us, uh, who are, well, most of the audience here who are performers probably only have a very limited scope of what it's like to be a PR person or a reviewer. And often reviewers are seen as sort of the evil eye looking over our work, kind of a tutor peering down, o down over us, like making sure we're doing the right work to what they think it is. Uh, whereas in reality, he's just a person and he's, he's quite a nice guy and you know if he doesn't like something it's his job to tell us that he doesn't 
and uh, hopefully he enjoyed this. He seemed to. So that was lovely. Our next guest is either going to be uh, Bob Slayer, who uh, runs the Heroes of the Fringe, who he's been talked about quite a lot in the first three episodes of the podcast. Uh, He's also a comedian. He also used to manage bands, and I'd love to talk to him about what that entailed and why he doesn't manage acts and things like that. Um, or it's going to be John Fleming, who is a, a daily comedy blogger and has been forever, basically. Um, he also organises the Malcolm Hardy Awards, which is something that we talked about in this podcast a little bit. And I think it'd be really fun to talk to him about what constitutes a winner for that, how to get nominated for that, why, how he got involved with that. Um, and also he writes a lot of books. Other confirmed reviews that I can tell you about, just so that you have a little bit of an update... Uh, we've got The Londonist coming down. For those of you who don't know, The Londonist are a re- reviewing and listing magazine based in London. Uh, who We've got their theatre critic as well as their comedy editor coming down for sort of an in-between-isode, which is what I'm calling episodes that are shorter than this. It's probably going to be about an hour, 40 minutes long. We're going to talk about you know what it takes to get listed with them, what they look for in, a, in an act to, to cover, as well as... Uh, what they review and why they review and everything in between we've got lisa edwards who is a literary agent at carlton books a little bit of a change up for uh, the podcast for that one um essentially it's becoming a bit comedy centric which i know is what a fair number of people who listen to this are but i know we're also writers technically because we all write stuff and I know that a large number of people are interested in writing for TV, other comedians, books, radio. I've already said that, but hey. And yeah, I, I think so. I'm going to get on some literary agents, uh, starting with her. I'm quite excited about that. Um, and uh, as mentioned in the podcast, we've got Bruce Desia, who is the art critic for the London Evening Standard. He's also the editor on Beyond the Joke and author of about a million books on comedy. So. Uh, I'm really excited about all those episodes. Um, if you like this and you want to hear more, please subscribe. Just uh, hit that little button and it really helps get the show sort of more notoriety because there are sort of charts on iTunes that are based around the number of subscribers in a certain period of time. And I'll see you in about a week's time. I, I should say I'm upping the ante this year a little bit more. I'm doing more than one podcast a month. I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. So as a result, I'm going to try and do more of it uh, while I can financially do it. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. See you soon. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.